Quest episode 214. I'm your host, Mike Absinthe, Katie Wheels, and with me as always. Utterly Metroid Dreadful. Nice. Uh, and we are fresh off of E3, and that reminds me, uh, friend of the show, Pew, sent me a handy-dandy link that shows everything announced at E3. So we have, like, one easy Even place. slightly care about. We have one easy place to do a nice little recap. Yes, I trust this link. Of course, it's not a Rickroll. Nobody does that anymore. Alright, so I have that ready. So yes, lots of, lots of things happened. Mostly at Nintendo's conference, but yes. elsewhere as well. Uh, there were some other. You want to go down your highlight reel? <laughs> yeah, I was looking at this to see if this is in order. Conference schedule. Started at Ubisoft and then went from there. Like some of this is like pre E three stuff. Maybe it's just not in order. Yeah, how do I put this in order? Uh sort. I don't know. Okay, so we'll start with Ubisoft, uh, which, where their big reveal obviously got leaked. Was it a day beforehand? A uh, couple of days, yeah. A couple of days. Yeah, so the big Ubisoft reveal, as far as RPGs go, anyway, was a sequel to um, Mario and Rabbids, which uh, I'm yeah. certainly pumped for. It looks weird and fun. Um, that was one of your favorite games in like 2017. So. Yeah. Uh, same team. Um, they, they certainly seem to be excited to work on it. So I expect like bigger and better. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. It looks interesting. They seem to they dropped the grid. I think which is interesting. Yeah, should be good. Uh, let's see what else do we. Name they did lots of Rainbow Six stuff. Yeah, I don't care. I did not yeah. look at the. I already knew about Mario. <laughs> Rainbow Six versus Aliens. You excited for that? I mean, I think it's incredibly funny because I think it's something that they would have never been able to get permission to do with Final Fantasy Z if they hadn't bought it after he was already dead. No, not a chance in hell. Like that's incredibly funny to me, but. Otherwise, that's completely unsticky. Yeah. Somewhere, someone who was hoping for and both hoping for and expecting an announcement uh, about Splinter Cell is just sobbing into a sock right now. You'll leave me alone. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, that was about it for Ubisoft. And then I think also on that day was Devolver Digital, which is like. Oh yeah, that one was deranged as far as I can tell. Well, I mean, that's typical. 
but they were yeah, just like no. watching a weird fever dream. Like, I think they serious. Like, what am I? I remember the first one where they did something like this, and I was like the first time when no one had any idea what to expect. And yeah. Like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. It's the equivalent of like when you would like tune into Adult Swim at like 2 a.m. and like it would just be like some weird thing that like was disconnected from everything and it had like completely inane titles like Alpha Chow or unedited footage of a bear. Yeah, or Children's Hospital. That was a weird one. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, the, the Devolver is the E3 press conference version of that. Yeah. Uh, let me think. I don't think they didn't announce any RPGs or anything relevant to us, really. But it was—it was certainly a thing. It did happen. Man, how I, I want to bring up like how are there more than one such like uh, at least one of these has been walked back since. But there were multiple uh, groups that announced physical only game a yeah. few like in the lead up to E3, and it's like. It should be obvious, based on our kind of nerdery, that me and Wheels are both big fans of, like, physical releases of video. Yes. That said, doing de deliberate and specifically physical-only releases of games sucks. Don't do it. You don't have an excuse. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. Like One of those got walked back. I'm not sure if the other one. Uh, yeah, I don't know about the other ones, but yeah, it, it, it's like, yeah, I mean, I love having physical editions, but usually, you know, if the digital version's out first, I'm already, I'm buying that, and like, I have a physical edition to maybe save, you know, some space on the Switch or something. Or just, or nice just you know, just to have, to have in, as a personal, like, part of the library. The game I'm playing right now. Ooh. Which I own digitally. It's on sale right now, and I recommend people check it out if they like roguelikes and Mega Man Battle Network. Oh, I like one of those things. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Uh, screw that garbage otherwise. No. Yeah, like, it's just one of those things, like, the, the concept of a physical-only release at this stage is just a, like... It, it's, it's courting speculators. It's like the... Like, I'm just thinking of, like, the last time, the, the, an example of someone doing something that is blatantly just courting people who want to buy something for the sake of selling it many years later. Yeah. And the thing that immediately leaves to mind is, like, the magic was just... Uh, where are the magic reserve list wheels? Okay, I won't keep poking at you. Let's, let's, uh, let's not talk about magic and their reserve list. <laughs> Stay tuned for a. I just realized huh? that my overlay is not really not doing this game any favors. Yeah, I think you're just invisible on your on channel. No, actually, your your character is invisible. Oh, yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, the, the magic reserve list, uh, I just want to bring it up because it was like, it was this thing where it's like, well, card games were new and they were like doing a thing where it's like, 
Okay, collectors, stop getting pissed off at us. These, these version, these cards will never, ever, ever be reprinted. Yeah. And now they can't. I mean, there's good reason for some of those cards, but yeah, but it, it still sucks that they just can't. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's just like you're like it is that that market of people who just sits on things is not a market that you should want to court. Oh, Alright, but anyway, back to the list. Uh, so I think that moves us into the next day. Yeah. Which was Xbox. On which I think they had a lot of good stuff, actually. Yeah, no, uh, they had a lot of... Definitely a lot of good stuff. I think the major one, well, there's one that's major for us, but the major, major one. Yeah, one that's major for everyone, one that's major for you. Yeah. The, <laughs> the major, major one is Starfield. It's going to be an Xbox exclusive. Which really shouldn't surprise anyone. Yeah. But. Uh, but, you know, that is something that's extremely big and bigger than probably I think some people realize because that's that is a absolutely major title that's exclusive to their console now uh, yeah and like that's that is the reason Microsoft started buying yeah because like they have they're they're in a very limited position to to like contractually obligate exclusive and so the answer is, you buy the company that makes them, and then you can just make them exclusive. Yeah. And Starfield, the second that they bought Bethesda, either Starfield or The Elder Scrolls Six needed to materialize shortly thereafter. Oh, for sure. Because that was like the thing that investors needed to have something to look at and say, okay, that, that purchase was not ridiculous. Yeah. So... But, I mean, Starfield shows up in like 2022, I guess. Yeah, but I mean they've already gotten a lot from that purchase anyway, given the number of games that are now. Oh yeah, the the Game Pass thing is huge actually. Like yeah. Game Pass is suddenly like a crazy thing at this stage. Yeah, you sign up to, for Game Pass, you get the access to all Bethesda games. Yeah, that's um, lots of hours for RPGs. Not to mention all the other stuff on there. You got Dishonored. It's, uh, it's pretty I can't wait for uh, Deathloop though, because like the Deathloop kind of solves the biggest problem I have with Dishonored, because Deathloop seems to give you some crazy powers. But, like the problem with Dishonored is that, and I think two fix this, but Dishonored one's biggest problem is that it's a game uh, about giving you crazy powers and then wagging its finger at you using them. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, due to their contracts, Deathloop is a PS5 exclusive for a PCU. Which is very weird, but whatever. That's how contracts work. It would probably cost a shit ton of money to buy that contract out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um... The, uh, but the other thing that is more relevant to you and I... Yes, uh, The Outer Worlds 2 was announced in a pretty funny trailer that makes fun of trailers. Yeah, and it's like, I don't think they really showed any game there, but... Probably not, but... You know, it's very exciting, 
because the Outer Worlds 2 is definitely the thing from Obsidian I would be most interested in at this stage. Yeah, and and I'm very interested in that with a Microsoft side budget. Yeah, uh, and I mean because Outer Worlds One is really impressive, but it is clearly a lower budget Obsidian. Oh, for sure. I mean, but I I'm just glad that they didn't. That no one went the route all the fans were clamoring for and now that they own Bethesda and oh, maybe New Vegas 2 time, Vegas baby! Um, I'm very sick of Fallout and very sick of post-apocalyptic nonsense. Uh, I feel like Outer Worlds is a much more relevant to the sci-fi at the stage. Absolutely, and yeah, I want more of that. I honestly don't even care about Fallout anymore. Just give me more Outer yeah. Worlds. But yeah, they, they could have showed like Outer Worlds 2 in plain text and I would have been just as excited yeah I, I don't want to get on like a repeated ranting hobby like I've been on before but I there have been ironic parodies of the 50s since I was since before I was born I turned 30 this year I'm done caring about the 50s yeah. Ironically or otherwise. <laughs> yeah, that was okay. Uh -huh. but yeah. Out of Worlds 2. Uh, for, for me in particular, we, we care about this, even though it's not an RPG. But Psychonauts 2! Yes. Psychonauts 2 in August. Can't wait for that. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love, I love Double Fine's work. I'm all about more psychics. And I've been waiting for this since 2005. <laughs> my my desire for a Psychonauts 2 is now old enough to drop. <laughs> that's that's scary. Okay, I'm moving on. Uh, um, oh god. I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> Halo things. Yeah, they showed some Halo Infinite. It looks good. Yeah, comes out in November, I think. It's gonna be free to play. Yeah, which honestly, the that's the move to make at this stage. Yeah. Move everyone makes at this stage, and it's the one. Just, just you need that extra cash. Yeah, I've uh, I've said that many, multiple times. Like that that's the model to do for the, for the, that kind of game or that kind of aspect of a game. Um, yeah, you know, I I know people hate multiple. Yeah, not multi. Um, what am I trying to say? Free to play. Free to play because of the way they monetize it. But you really get a bigger and better audience for a game like that. If someone, you know, if you want somebody to say, "Hey, play this game with me," they can just download it and you can play it. You know? Yeah, and like I would imagine it'll probably have like some degree of, like, things that you would get for free as part of the box copy will be charged for free-to-play, but at the very least, like, the the big thing, of course, with any multiplayer is that, like, it's only ever going to be as good as it's allowed to be by the amount of people. Right. And so... The one nice thing they did announce already is that with the battle passes with uh, Halo yeah. Infinite you will be able to gain the rewards essentially forever. Like, most of the time, you can only gain those rewards until, like, the next season starts and the new Battle Pass goes out. But they'll be continuous on this? Yes. So you don't have to 
there'll be no worry about, oh, I have to, you know, finish this. I have to schedule playing my Halo. Right. You will <laughs> always be able to roar them as, as long as you, you know, get the battle pass. So that's something. You know, maybe the rest of it will be nice too, because. The, the trailer they showed of the gameplay looked fun. Having played okay, certain no. other games recently, I'm sick of getting fleeced for stupid things. That I nonetheless. You sound like you got something to work through. I'm not gonna talk about it. We're not gonna talk about that game. It's not an RPG. Uh, you insist. Um. But yeah. Uh. But yeah. I mean, Microsoft announced multiple RPGs. I think. So what else we got? Who else was done that day? Square Enix, who announced a Guardians of the Galaxy game from one of the studios. I was wondering what they were up to in. Um, yeah, that was out. weird. Yeah. And I think that that game will be good, but I don't think it's trailer. Uh, I think it's got this... For me, it's got the same problem that the Avengers had, in that they're trying to make the characters look sort of like the movies. They, they look like the, the like, direct-to-video movie ver sequel version yeah, they of... The actual actors. It's like off-brand Marvel characters. It's weird. Because they don't distinctively look like a specific run of the comics, which would be hard for them to Because I mean, like, the I don't think the version of that team that exists in them that really uh, is usually like what the team was before the movie came out. Yeah. But I mean, as far as the gameplay goes, it looks cool. It's not going to be the... Same sort of Mass Effect S. Yeah, it's not going to be the live service nonsense that they tried to do with the fans. Yeah, when they promised that it was like single player on it, like, I can get over some misgivings yeah. based on that. And also, it's like the Deus Ex team. And just in general, like, it's one of those things, like, I think it doesn't demo well. Like, the bigger issue that I had with it was that they were basically like... So if you go back and look at... The early Mass Effect E3 demonstrations, they were cut more, much more cleverly than that, because they would show you, like, the start of a decision, then they would cut to, they would do, like, a very quick, like, montage of action, and they would cut to the consequences of that decision. And that, you know, that would take, like, three minutes. And this Guardians of the Galaxy trailer was, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. And we didn't really see the consequences of the decisions being made. They were emphasizing that there were decisions to be made. But they didn't really show us the consequences of how making those decisions affected the game. Yeah. So, like, the trailer is just... It doesn't do what it's supposed to. Yeah, and one of them was like, oh, you know, you can pick who's going to be, like, the bait. Like, who's, who's going to be... Yeah, who will we pretend bait. to sell? Right. And that, like, the, the concepts behind that are good. And I think if you've already played some and you're like just, uh, you're invested in the game, like that dialogue's going to go around that. It's like, there's some there's some good like debate among the team about which person to actually send. It's just like, uh, the choices are Rocket and Groot, of course, because they're both like the non-humanoid looking. And, uh, like, you've got, uh, Rocket trying desperately to get you to send him and not through. But then you've got, like, Drax, who's just talking about how, like, Rocket has, like, this horrible hatred in his soul and is a true monster. Mm -hmm. 
And it's like, that's, that's fun, that can be cute. But yeah, it's just one of those things, the trailer was too long. It was, uh, they, they keep doing this with the Marvel things, because it's like, yeah, the MCU audience will love this, but the MCU wants the MCU, and that should be right. abundantly apparent by the fact that the MCU has done essentially nothing to boost Marvel's comics sales. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, yeah, I would prefer if it, they had like their own art style and weren't trying to look like the movies all. But I mean, overall, I'm sure it's gonna be good. And I look forward yeah. to that. And I was baffled when they finally revealed what all of the platforms are. Yeah. Uh, we'll get we'll get to that though. Um, uh, um, they announced a new. Pixel Perfect, I believe they call them, versions of the original. They, I think they just said Pixel Remaster, but yeah. And people have been like, there, there was basically no uh, footage of what these games look like. Yeah. But there was a like they 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 slid some sprites and screens across the uh, across the screen, but. Uh, and people have analyzed them. They are very, they are different sprites. So they, these have been re-sprited. Uh, I've seen them in isolation. They're good sprites. They're not, they're kind of not the ones I want, but I mean, they, unlike the mobile ports of like FF5 and 6 that just look utterly hideous, the, these at least are acceptable, even if they're not exactly. Yeah. Uh, as far as people can tell, they're kind of like going for the idea of what kind of blurring that CRT felt CRTs do to pixel art. Honestly, rather they just use like chunked up sprites. It, it's fine. These at least are less horrendous. So, yeah. but also this is only for Steam and iOS so far. Yeah. Announced for nothing else, which seems baffling. Yeah, it's, it's Steam and mobile. And it's just like, that seems like a really obvious, like, I'm sure that eventually they will find their way to essentially everything with the screen. And I would assume yeah. that they're just sort of holding it back on the basis of they intend to launch on Steam and mobile and then put them everything to the screen. Yeah, I was talking to my friend about this. I'm like, yeah, you know, there's, there's more Saga and Mana games from, like, the NES and... SNES era on the Switch than Final Fantasy games, even Dragon Quest. You can get Dragon Quest 1 through 3. But yeah. all those early Final Fantasy games nowhere to be found. Yeah, they're just completely absent. Like, they even found ways to release Final Fantasy 1 again on 3DS, and that's a weird-ass version that no yeah. bothered playing, but it's kind of neat. But, yeah, for, for whatever reason, they've been very tight-fisted with those early FFs on everything. Because, like, that's the other weird thing. You can get FF7 through 12 on Switch, PS4, Xbox, whatever. Yeah. But not 1 through 6. And that's weird. That doesn't feel like it should be the case. No. And I suspect that eventually it won't be, but I also suspect they are only willing to commit to the mobile and Steam releases immediately. But then again, like, I'm still perplexed by that on the basis of... Those are the places you can already buy most of these, yeah. at least in some form. Not necessarily good versions, but you can still buy them. Are these going to replace those versions? Probably not, especially FF4, because that's the remake DS version yeah. on Steam. 
I wonder if they'll remaster the interlude. Oh god, why? Uh -huh. <laughs> but yeah. So that, that was weird, but it'll be nice when there's a victory finder with the Switch or whatever, and I replay FF3, and I'm like, why did I do this? This game fucking sucks. Um... Yeah, I mean, the the idea that those, like, they just keep bringing those back up, and it's like, you guys don't have anything new to tell these, I'm not sure what you're doing, but yeah. um, it's there. There was some Babylon Fall stuff that I didn't really pay attention to. Oh yeah, that immediately killed my interest in the game, because it's like, oh, Platinum game published by Square, that could be cool, and then they said it's a live service game, and I was like, fuck off. <laughs> well, that doesn't scare me off, but, um, you know. It didn't look like a particularly good one, either. I signed up to try and get into closed beta so I can try it out. Ah, uh, you're a criminal. Yeah, it, it did not inspire confidence. I was not entertained. Um, yeah. I hope it's not causing any delays with the missing in action day and other game. There is no way those are even related to yeah. I'm just uh, confused. I, I'm gonna, again. I think bring up like the, the the word that I've always heard is that uh, the director of Bayonetta 2 and prospective director of Bayonetta 3 departed the company in like early 2019 because of the game to get pushed back pretty heavily. Uh, okay. Yeah, that'll do it. That. <laughs> so that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, what else did we get? If you want uh, sourcing on that, I'm going to personally recommend a very good. Uh, game like Preservation Historian who has a good Patreon. Uh, Liam, Liam Robin, Robertson. Go look him up. He's good. Sorry, just wanted to plug that since like that was... Uh, he was kind of one of the ones that actually had information about what's been up with Platinum. <laughs> so, yeah. Just a recommendation. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, what else is there? Uh, Avalon's Fall... Is there anything we're missing before the big ones? Um, I don't think so. No, oh, then let's talk about it. Let's talk about the big one. The one that was leaked weeks before. Yep. <laughs> um, what is the official title again? Stranger in Paradise? Stranger of Paradise, Final Fantasy Origin. Yes. Strange title. Uh action Final Fantasy game set in the Final Fantasy 1 universe? Like, very specifically Final Fantasy 1. Like, spoilers for the demo. When you get to the demo, you get, like, like the characters remember a discussion from Princess Sarah from Final Fantasy 1 of describing Garland to them. So very specifically Final Fantasy I played the demo. I thought it was actually really good. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's definitely an evolution of what Team Ninja has done with Neo, but I think mechanically more interesting and with a lot more character building options. Nice. Because it's got like a job tree, uh, which also changes uh, when you die. It's it definitely is designed to be possible for people who are maybe not as good to be able to play, because it has, like, 
proper difficulty options. There's easy, normal, hard, and easy also has casual as a huh. But, uh, I, I played on normal. Uh, if you get, when you get to Garland on normal, it's like, oh, this is Dark Souls. Huh? Uh, but, uh, because of the way that the experience system is set up, it's kind of interesting. They can't take EXP away from it, because that's just not how it works. Huh. So when you die, uh, it shrinks your magic meter. Huh. And the way you recover your magic meter is, uh, there's a few ways to do it, but the most effective one I found is... So you can parry, but you have kind of two different kinds of parries. You've got the regular parry, which uh, drains, which uh, is, you know, you hit the guard button where the enemy hits. And it uh, blocks the damage, and you don't lose stamina. Then you have like the, it's called like the soul shield, but it's basically, you get a bigger window. And when you use the, uh, when you use, like, your your soul shield lasts for, like, half to a full, somewhere between half a second and a full second. So it's, it's a bigger parry window. Uh, but you're essentially, the longer you're holding it, the more of your stability is draining, which is, like, equivalent to your, closest equivalent would be your stamina and and, but if you block something with your soul shield, your MP meter in, like, its size increases. Hmm. Like, it recovers MP to soul shield. So you're kind of betting uh, some of your stamina and, like, your capacity to time the block against a reward of more magic. Which is kind of an interesting thing. So, like, my, my fight against Garland at the end, which is really hard, uh, consisted a lot of, uh, like, soul shielding his attacks and, like, retaliating with different kinds of magic. Or, uh, soul shielding is also interesting because it gives you, uh, a little bit of a blue mage ability. Because if you soul shield an attack that's name is in purple, you steal it. And you can use it a few times before you run out of charges. So, like, one of the things Garland likes to do is he'll, like, jump back and throw and cast something like a fire spell. And if you soul shield that, you get a few, like, you can, you know, cast fire spells on him with no, like, MP cost and no charges. Which means that you kind of have like uh, an essentially free ranged attack on for a couple of tasks, which can be really nice to just help drain some of his HP. Um, and of course, you have two companions who are also fighting alongside you, like they're uh, having discussions while you're doing it. But your companions are also. Uh, Potions in this game are Estus Blasts. They recharge when you hit a save point. But you can also spend potions to revive your party members when they get knocked out. And they're usually pretty good at taking care of themselves. But uh, part of the reason that's... Part of the thing that's useful about your companions 
is that they distract enemies, uh -huh. which really helps when you get like uh, when you're unexpectedly in the middle of a mine. Uh, I, I honestly thought the demo was really good. Um, it's got a lot of technical hiccups. It's clearly like probably at least a year out, maybe closer to a year and a half. Uh, and it's definitely got some things that I'm like I'm not quite sure how this will work. Uh, notably, uh, you there currently I, in that demo there seems to be no way to actually like command your party members to do anything. <laughs> and that like in the final game that could exist somewhere. It would be ridiculous if it doesn't. Uh, but the actual like fundamentals of the combat I was very favorably impressed with. I thought the character advancement system was really interesting. Uh, the game generally just comes off less angry when it's not super cutting together uh, a bunch of dialogue in the trailer. And the other thing I really appreciated was that it's very artistically loyal to the weird sprites of the old games. So, like, well, that's interesting. the the first thing you'll run into are these goblins that look exactly like a 3D version of the FF1 goblins. Nice. And they'll, like, punch you and then just sort of, like, jump back and sort of tackle. <laughs> and it's, like, really, like, funny to have that contrasting against the very, like, over-the-top, uh, sort of, uh, masculine and angry protagonist. And I think that that's intentional. Interesting. Be because there is one section in the demo where you can get, like, just punched by a cactuar. <laughs> like, it just... I, I had no idea how to react to that. I'm not even sure if it shows up every time or what. But basically, there was just, like, a cactuar just amongst a bunch of enemies, and he just started, like, thousand needling things, and it it looks exactly like the FF5 forced into 3D. Nice. And I'm always happy when I see that because I think Cactuar was some of the funniest enemy design yeah, uh, conceived. Really and so seeing them contrasting against this party of like big beefy dudes is really funny. <laughs> and I don't think that's unintentional. But like you'll get other things like uh, one of the other demo enemies is a bomb. And like you actually have uh, two ways of dealing with them. You can, if you can damage race them, you can kill them before they'll just explode. But if you're being careful when they cast fire at you, you can just steal their fire spell and fire it back at them and detonate them from far enough away that they'll actually just blow up other enemies. Huh? And when that happened, that was when I got sold on the game because it was like, oh, that's so cool that you can do that. So yeah, uh, the architectural design in the Shrine Chaos involved is really cool thing, and uh, does evoke certain versions of the tile set used there, but also has a lot of other alien, very alien architecture. Oh, the other great thing I really appreciated when I was fighting Garland, the FF1 uh, boss theme is mixed into the song that plays when you're fighting Garland. Nice. So yeah, it's it's. I thought it was really good. So, I hope I'm not alone, but yeah. I don't think so. I will probably enjoy it whenever I fire it up, possibly on this game. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's me talking about Stranger Paradise. Way too long. Uh, no worries. Uh, I think that was it for the, the Square Enix show. 
Yeah, that was. I think that was what they ended off on. Yeah. Hmm. Uh. Uh, and Pee Wee's in the chat asking why my camera looks weird. Um. Technical so, difficulties. Technical difficulties yeah. because I'm simulcasting on two Twitch channels and um. Reels is a broken, broken man. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Alright, so I think that's... That takes us to limited run, I guess? Yeah, I think, uh, because there was Capcom on Monday, but they didn't announce anything new, they were just showing what's yeah, they, I'm, up. I'm gonna say this for the podcast, I am almost certain that the Capcom show existed to trick Resident Evil and Monster Hunter fans into watching a new surprise. I mean, that's fine. I, I will probably still not play those Ace Attorney games, but I appreciate it. I know. You don't. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, it's one of my, like, I, I fully appreciate and respect that basis that I appreciate that they are just trying to go all in on selling this Ace Attorney game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, um,. Uh, but yeah, and then of course there was uh, another trailer for Monster Hunter Stories, which I think was slightly extended from the last time they showed it. But... Yeah. Oh, and there's a demo of that coming. Yep, it's um, next the 24th, I think. 25th, next Friday. Um, Something like that. Should be like, um, just like the demo for the first game was, which is... Uh, Essentially, it's like, excuse me, the first few hours of the game. Yeah. You take carry your progress on to the, the main game. So that should be good, especially if, you know, if you're already going to buy the game, then you basically just get early access. So. Yeah. Um, I'll probably buy that then. Yeah. But yeah. Uh. Someone's getting wrecked. Um, and that, uh, there's a lot of stuff on Limited Run that might have theoretically been adjacent, depending upon how closely we're counting Kunio Kun uh, beat em ups as RPGs, since they have a lot of RPG elements, but they're still beat em ups. Yeah. Um, River City Girls 2, hell yeah. Yeah, um, they announced a physical edition of this very game, One Step from Eden. For the US release. Yeah. Uh, it already got and I saw this and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, it's like a roguelike uh, deck building game that plays in combat like a fast paced Mega Man Battle Network. Like, it, it, the grid is super just bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but yeah. And I mean, that's good because that's a good battle system that for some reason very few people have knocked off. Yeah. I think Wheels just got terminated. Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I just wanted to say, which uh, legal is too high. And also, the extremely strange circumstance where they are localizing a Super Famicom game from like 1984 and labeling yeah. it for City Girls Zero. Rondo of Blood. You will be able to purchase a localized version of that on a Turbo CD. Yeah, I'm into that. I wish that I had money to blow on something that stupid, yeah. but I don't, so I can't. 
that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, moment of run. It was fun. Uh, you know, it looked like it was, I don't know if it was produced by the Mega 64 folks or. They, they were definitely Mega 64 people involved. Yeah. But as soon as one of them showed up, I'm like, oh, this is this is their kind of humor. Let's see what's going on. It, it suddenly, like, it just unlocked every. It was like a. A. Uh, Rosetta Stone for why this was the presentation of the box. Yeah. But, yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, so I think that was it for E3, right? It was. Oh, I wouldn't have been a. I wouldn't have been another conference there. Maybe on a Tuesday. Oh, no. Oh wait, let's talk about Nintendo. Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, so obviously there was no hardware reveal, which should have been clear to They anyone. promised there wouldn't be yes. beforehand. And here is, we have a presentation about software. Yeah, so, there was a lot of software. There was a lot of software. Um, what did they hit off with right off the bat? Oh, uh, they started with the Smash trailer. That's right, uh, which, is, which was fucking hilarious. Yeah, Kazuya Mishima from Tekken. Uh, protagonist, antagonist, depending upon the game. Throwing everyone uh, in the volcano. Yeah, like that. That's that's a good uh, joke, both because that is so constantly a repeating motif in Tekken that it's just like it became ridiculous. It just never stopped. <laughs> Like, and so, like, just having him just be like, okay, I beat someone and it's time to throw them into a volcano because that's just what I do, I guess. Like, that that was fun. Uh, special highlights to uh, throwing Kirby in yeah. and Kirby slowly just floating back out. And I believe he attempts to throw Min Min from Get on shit. But... The uh, best part about that is they double down, like they did the beginning part, and then they're just like, oh, we're gonna throw like 10 characters in this volcano <laughs> in rapid succession. Yeah, like Captain Falcon fell into the volcano. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it looked fun. Uh, he looked complicated to play as, yeah. as ever because he's a Tekken character, and oh my god, have you ever looked at what combo strings in Tekken look like? No, no thank you. Uh, like they highlighted him having a 10 hit combo. I'm not sure how it'll be executed. Probably much less demanding money. Uh, I'm looking, as I've been joking ever since the reveal, I'm looking forward to Electric Wind Godfist being overpowered in another game. Uh, but yeah, uh, truly, truly ridiculous. Um, good, fun, unexpected character. Uh, and has caused a bunch of people to make references to Street Fighter Cross Tekken again. Uh, because that featured Ryu, Kazuya, Pac-Man, and Mega Man in the same game. And now we're back. Smash Brothers Ultimate is Tech Cross Street Fighter, apparently. Sweet. But yeah. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, but yeah, that's what they let off with. And then, you know... I'm gonna look up everything. 
uh, I'll go over some of the highlights. Um, Advanced Wars 1 plus 2 Reboot. Reboot Camp. As it was officially called. Yeah. Uh, being made by good friends to all uh, nerds way forward. Yeah. So that should turn out quite well. Um, yeah, it looks great. Uh, it's nice that it's both one and two. Uh, and it's just nice to see a new Advance Wars that series has not appeared in a number of years at the stage. Yeah. Uh, Guardians mm -hmm. of the Galaxy is coming to Switch as a streaming title. Yeah, which makes perfect sense because that is... When I saw that, I was like, how you intend to do that? Explain this. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't in the trailer, but they did later. Yeah, which didn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah. Uh, new WarioWare! Yeah, that was a shocker. It's been quite a while since we've had any sort of WarioWare thing. I think the last thing was like a 3DS game that was just like the greatest hits thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's also interesting, I don't think they've... They've done multiplayer WarioWare, I don't think they've done like cooperative micro games. I don't think so. Right. Which is a very interesting thing to see. Uh, so that was exciting. Uh, we're beating around some of the bigger things that yeah. matter, but uh, there was a Mario Party like uh, how to describe this. There was a Mario Party uh, like compilation, like greatest hits of the N64 games. I mean, yeah. those are the ones I have nostalgia for, so... I haven't really played those, so... Huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fatal Frame 5 is no longer trapped on the Wii U. As Wii? a fan yeah. of... As a fan of horror games, that was... It was the same that that was trapped on the Wii U, and in the US it was download only. Yeah. I will not play that in my course, because that looks freaky as shit. Well, it is. Uh... So let's get to the things that we're actually, uh, we've, we've got bigger things to say about. Uh, hey Wheels, you ever heard of a game that sounded like it was fake, and if you hadn't seen the trailer for it, you would have assumed someone was, like, having a laugh at your expense? Um, are we talking about titles that supposedly existed years ago and never showed up? Yeah, perhaps more than a decade ago? Yes, I, I'm dreading this topic. Not really. Metroid Dread! That's a joke. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When I saw the, um, the rumors that there's a new 2D Metroid, I was like, okay, whatever. It's just not like, I, I would believe that. That was not that surprising. I did not believe it. I mean, like, they did Samus for coming out it's not that Yeah, I forgot that, and I also game. forgot that we hadn't seen, heard much of Mercury Stream in ages, so... Uh, yeah. That rumor and that fact should have put two and two together. Which it didn't mm. for me for some reason, but whatever. So yeah, Mercury Stream is getting to make Metroid Dread, aka Metroid 5. Yeah, they, they started with the Metroid 5 title, which is in keeping with how, like, Metroid... Uh, Super Metroid, Metroid Fusion, and Metroid, now Dread, uh, all have this, like, Metroid, and then a number, and then their proper title in, like, their opening sequence somewhere. Uh, yeah, Metroid 5, Metroid Dread. Uh, 
When I saw Metroid 5, I was already like, kind of, oh my god, they're actually making a sequel to Fusion rather than yeah. bumping back in the timeline and doing something else to not acknowledge what happened in Fusion. Uh, but then when uh, they also decided to actually fish out the name Metroid Dread, yeah. it was just like, for those who don't remember, Metroid Dread was uh, rumored to be released, was like supposedly on uh, leaked, re like forthcoming game release lists in 2006 as a <laughs> DS game. Like circa Metroid Prime 3, and then Metroid Prime 3 Corruption references the concept of a Metroid Dread. And like that's, you know, for years people were like, where's Metroid Dread? When's Metroid Dread? it's like, at some point, that becomes a joke, because, like, after five years, it's like, you, whatever that was, it's gone now. Yeah. <laughs> and then it came back. And it's a Switch game, and it comes out this year. Uh, and it looks excellent, by the way. Yeah, uh, it addresses, like, the biggest issues that I had with Samus Returns, essentially immediately by making it so that uh, the counter move is no longer a contextual move. And that also means that you're not, like, the combat is clearly not built around waiting for something to do something and then countering it. Which is fun for a while, but can get tedious when you're trying to run back through areas. Yeah. So, making it something where you could be more aggressive with it is good. <laughs> so, yeah. It's very pretty. I like Samus' suit design. I appreciate that they seem to be moving forward from the SAX from uh, Metroid 4. Like, the fusions, like, I, the idea they clearly wanted with the SAX was that the SAX stalks you and is, like, something you should fear. Yeah. And, like, there's a couple of sequences, scripted sequences, where you will see the SAX and it's like, oh, no, I need to get out of here because this thing will kill me. Because it's a fully powered up Samus, and I like Samus with nothing. And then Dread seems to have taken that further with like multiple Robo Stalkers and like random uh, in the moment uh, things to deal with. So, uh, earning that title. <laughs> so I'm into it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, it looks good. It's not an RPG, but it would feel weird not to talk about Metro. But that leaves us with the other two big trailers that they did. Uh, let's see. So you're talking about Life is Strange coming to the Switch, right? Absolutely not. It was weird to me that it took that long to announce because there was really nothing that would have kept it from being on the Switch. So you mean the Worms Rumble port to Switch? Why are you like this? I don't know. I'm a terrible person. You could have even at least brought up Super Monkey Ball and I would have had a good laugh. From the develop from the director of Yakuza. Uh, let's t let's talk about the the, the Shin Megami Tensei Five trailer. That looked really cool. I want that game now. Give it to me the fuck now, please. Like I was I was of course interested in Shin Megami Tensei Five. It's Shin Megami Tensei Five. Yeah. But like that, it like seeing that trailer and like what they're going for in action made me much much more interested. No, and uh, it is a much better looking game than I was expecting because, you know, obviously right now Persona is their big thing, so I wasn't expecting any sort of big budget 
uh, Shin Megami Tensei, but it looks pretty damn good. Yeah, no, it looks gorgeous. Uh, they've clearly injected even more Devil Man into the proceedings. Uh, I'm here for it. Uh, but yeah, um, on-screen encounters. On-screen encounters with identifiable demons. Oh, that feels wild. Shopkeeper, one step from evil. Oh, Whoops! Rip me. Good job, but yeah, on-screen encounters with identifiable demons is like wild to me. Yeah. That you can actually see them and know what you're about to fight. Also, jumping. Yeah. Like that's become much more common in RPGs, but it's still wild to me anytime I see like an old an old school RPG suddenly have like the capacity for the character to jump. Like Dragon <laughs> Quest. Yeah, like that was weird when it happened in Dragon Quest. And it's weird when it's happening, it shouldn't be gone like that. I'm not even against it, because I just, like, sometimes I just jump to, like, it feels good to jump while you're just moving from place to place. But, I don't know. Uh, it, it looks real good. Um, uh, yeah, full, fully on board. Uh, it's probably going to push me into playing Nocturne sooner than I had intended. Yep, uh, now, now I need to finish Nocturne by then, and before Apocalypse, so it's going to be an SMT summer. Oh, you got a lot of games. Yeah, yes sir. Before Apocalypse is like 70 hours long, dude. Um, that's fine. Good luck, my god slayer. <laughs> um, just going to be the doctor in your ear telling you that you suck. Uh, Let me just... But I can't pull off that good... Uh, that, that good, like, weird broke that he has going on, so yeah. I should stop. Let me just go over a few other things they showed before we get to the big, big thing. Uh, a Legend of Zelda Game & Watch with Zelda 1 and Link's Awakening on it and some other trash. Um, Zelda 2. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's specifically Link's Awakening, the black and white one, which yes. is not... The one that gets re-released very often. I wonder if it'll have all the bugs of the black and white one, because that one has, like, screen warping glitches that are very interesting. Probably. Um, they showed off some of the DLC for Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which looks good. So uh, it's the big boy. The Danganronpa collection is coming to Switch. Yeah, I'm stupid. I'll buy it. I don't care. Uh, Tony Hawk 1 and <laughs> 2, which you already know is coming out, but they showed a little bit of that. Yeah, that comes out this month, but I mean, might it? as well. Yeah. Does that come out next week? Yeah, it comes out in like a week. Shit. Shit. My wallet. Do I need to, like, just slam through those again, utterly destroying all of your self esteem? Yes. Yes. Fine. <laughs> uh. Oh, that reminds me of a phony uh, Tony Hawk related story, but I'll, no, I'll just tell it right now. So I, uh, I got rid of my old PS2, brought it to a retro shop, yeah. and to test it out, uh, the guy there popped in Tony Hawk Underground and nice. just started messing around and broke off like a 670,000 point trick like it was nothing. Yeah, that's that's impressive. That's good work. Yeah. I usually cap out more like 300 before. So. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, well, let's see. One random weird announcement was Strange Brigade for Switch, which I think came out. I've heard. I have no idea what that is. Still, you know, like two years ago on like Xbox and PS4, it is like a cooperative third-person shooter from Rebellion that involves like fighting mummies in like 1920s or 30s Egypt. Well, that is strange. Uh, and I kind of want to play it. It looks neat. But yeah, it looked nice. But I may actually just get one of the older versions, which are cheaper at this point. Um, I will bring out. Uh, I will bring up Cruisin' Blast. Wasn't expecting to see a Cruisin' game in the yeah, year twenty twenty one. Keep forgetting that series even existed. Like Cruisin' USA was like like one of the defining like. This is running on arcade hardware that resembles the Nintendo Ultra 64. Mm -hmm. But yeah, supposedly people seem to like this arcade game and it's never been ported to anything, even though it's been out for a few years. So, I mean, it's nice that it'll be somewhere less ephemeral and, like, rare as a unicorn is arcades, so... I guess. I don't know. I wanted to give it the highlight. Light. Yeah. I like arcade racing games. They're not actually common anymore. No, that's true. Um, showed off uh, Doom Eternal DLC coming to Switch. Yeah. It's uh, inevitable. Ever reminder, I need to play the first one. You really do. It's really good. Yeah. Well, I think the last time I was going to play it, I was just not, not in the mood for that kind of like gory shooter. Uh they definitely didn't announce uh, they definitely didn't show a game that we see. Yes. They definitely didn't show a Breath of the Wild 2 trailer that leaves me with lots of questions because it had some vibes I wasn't expecting. Some weird time shenanigans going on. Yes. Definitely time shenanigans. One of the th weird things they showed was like Link, Link question mark, uh, like zoom zooming up like through water through a piece of land or something. Zoom, zooming. So there's a bunch of islands in the sky, which is like Skyward Sword, and it seems yeah. to evoke that intentionally. And then like they showed Link like zooming through the sky. <laughs> Uh, like zooming upwards through a solid chunk of the island and on top of it. Uh, they seem to show like some weird super stasis. But like I kept getting vibes of like the. Uh, if anyone. Did you play Skyward Sword? Of course. It was my favorite okay. Zelda game before Breath of the Wild came out. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be relevant to a question. Yeah. Um. Maybe we'll jump to that one once we're done with this. Sure. But, uh, yeah, um, Zelda, uh, but it reminded me of the Lanairu Desert there, where there was, like, localized time distortion. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder if that might be an idea to come back to. Possibly. Because uh, that, that was an interesting concept. The other interesting thing was they... Uh, the music that plays, which was very clearly some kind of backwards playing music, was 
the original like Breath of the Wild trailer theme backwards. Yeah. Which uh, is also not the first time they've done. Uh, no, uh, no. By which I mean... They did that in Seba. Skyward Sword. Yep, Skyward Sword. Uh, the main theme of Skyward Sword is Zelda Solo by backwards. Yeah. So, I'm getting a lot of Skyward Sword vibes. Uh, what that means... Uh, guys, Breath of the Wild was directed by Skyward Sword director. So it could be nothing. He also be... directed the Minish Cap, but no, I think I think that like they're they're definitely like bringing back some ideas they have from Skyward Sword that they can explore in a new fashion now sure. that they're in like a different kind of Zelda game. Um, I'm just wondering if they're gonna go explore some of the things that Skyward Sword did, like um, what actually the deal with Ganon is and why he keeps coming back, or the origin. Bruce. Groose, yes. Yes, give us Groose 2.0. Put Groose on the loose. Yes, please. Uh, or something like that. Or if they just wanted to do something in the sky again. But what? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Both are fun. Uh, the other interesting <laughs> thing to me is we saw Link in two very distinct clothing styles. Configurations. And we never <laughs> saw his face. His or her face. And which made Yeah, me, I have my questions there. Which made me think, and I think some people speculated too, that uh, are we seeing Link all the time in here? Which, yes, most likely, but... He, it raises the question yeah. of, like, what... Because, what, like, the only... Like, Link could wear different clothes in... Breath of the Wild, but Link, I don't think, could change hairstyles in right. Breath of the Wild. This this character, for whatever like whatever the case may be, they have different hair between these two distinct clothing. Yes. Might I note that Zelda has already been shown with short hair in this game. Then again, she also is shown falling in a hole. Also, so, also who knows? Yeah. We will see. We will see. There's, uh, I'm guessing we're going to see more of this game later this year. Um, yeah, it's due out in 2022. We still don't know its actual name. It is not called Breath of the Wild 2 as far as we can tell because they vary specifically. Nintendo's YouTube has the trailer up and it's labeled Sequel to the Legend of Zelda Breath right. Teaser. And I think they said on the Treehouse or in some sort of that I've seen pass around. It was basically like, yes, internally it has a name. No, we are not ready to share it because it might reveal things that we aren't ready to reveal. Right. So I'm guessing we might see more of this at TGS or it's whatever. Nintendo's never at TGS, but we might see an, a direct around that period. More than likely, though, if we don't see it, then we might see it at the game. Yeah, that's actually good. That actually seems more likely. Nintendo usually has something big lined up for the game. They showed Breath of the Wild and won at the game. Okay, that makes sense then. That, that would be my biggest bet as to when we will see more of this time. Because it's also like the, hey, get excited for things that come out in 2022. Yeah. It's December of 2021. <laughs> so that'd be my big bet. Yeah. That might be when we get its name, I guess. 
So yeah, uh. that, was, that was pretty much it for this E3. Um, not overloaded with things, but given you know the current given the pandemic, they pandemic I think that it's yeah. a pretty good one. No, it's pretty good considering how many things are likely delayed and may have been here otherwise. I got Outer Worlds too. I don't have no complaints whatsoever. Yeah, no, this was this was good. Plus, Kim uh, Megami Tensei coming five coming this year, which I mean we hadn't really seen a ton of it beforehand, so that that was nice to see. Uh, yeah, I mean there's there's lots of things that Some of them we'll probably eventually see. Yep. But... Yeah. Um, see. Uh... So we should probably get to some of these questions, since a lot of them are easier. Uh, I do want to quickly dip into the... Uh, I do want to dip into one that's Zelda related. Yeah, these are the ones in this part, that's what I'm talking But I wanted to dig into the Zelda related ones since we were still on Zelda as a discussion. Good old Fire Miner says a bumper crop of E3 adjacent questions that try to get through. Um, uh, this specific one was with Skyward Sword coming back, people are once again digging up criticisms of it. What do you think about the idea that it's the weakest entry in the franchise just after the CDI games and Zelda 2? Those people are ridiculous. Um, a load of crap. Because that's my because the Zelda 2, always. But, like, even without that, I would actually put Skyward Sword as one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a very daring, unique game that also uh, presages a lot of the ideas that would be uh, explored to great acclaim in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, for starters, for me, one of the best thing it does is it gets rid of the notion of, oh, let's have a, this boring overworld that you quote-unquote explore between dungeons and make everything actually interesting. Make the whole world a dungeon. Hmm. Make and they kind of, like, they, they took... Hmm. Make, make the entire world, like, incredibly, like, intricate and detailed in a way that it hadn't really been in quite a long time. Uh, just in general, like, it, it, like, everything to do with how the stamina meter works in Breath of the Wild is directly building off of how it functions in, uh, Skyward Sword. Yeah. Like, just wholesale. Uh, Skyward Sword also kind of took this idea that you can do more with the characterization of Link and Zelda. Actual stakes for as why Link would be out there trying to save. Yeah, Zelda. and also like the ideas of like, I mean like Zelda as a character in that is my favorite Zelda. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and like the parallel story she's going on, like if, if we wanted to talk like dream spinoffs, it would be like a sort of co-op game where you have one player playing as Zelda and one player playing as Impa, and they're like parallel during the Skyward Sword. Line. Because that is something that goes through, that is a running theme through the entirety of Skyward Sword. Ripe for a really cool co-op Zelda game that will never. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, just just in general, uh, just a really neat sort of uh, I, I would consider paradoxically underrated game. Oh, for sure. Uh, um, people and complain to know about the motion controls, which were excellent. People don't like to hear you're doing it wrong, but on some level, you kind of like, and this is one of the problems that motion controls can have. You can, it is very hard to give complete feedback about what you're doing wrong, but like when one of the most frustrating things about discussing Skyward Sword is someone saying, like, this never works consistently, and it's like, I got it to work essentially 100% of the time. There is a way to make them work consistently. It's not, it, it is not impossible to do this. And that doesn't, that is not something that someone who's pissed off and controlled the game is doing. <laughs> but, uh, I, I think that it's really, really good. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it also has an interesting villain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Both in Gira, him, and Dimas. Yeah, well, two, yeah, two villains, really. Which are kind of like, you know, the the game, of course, reveals that they have a parallel relationship to Link and Fee, so that's good. Also, Fee's fun. Leave her alone. You guys are all mean. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, th that's, that's the prevailing opinion of this podcast. Uh, that Skyward Sword is, in fact, Aces. Um, I think that was one of the first things that me and we all sort of like bonded over was being like oh, yeah. the only two people we could discuss that were both like, yeah, Skyward Sword Alps. Yeah. Especially uh, its main theme, which. Um, yeah. so good. Yeah. Also, it's the one that first uh, discovered the comedic potential of just playing Link like a complete clod. Like, your, your options were always heroic, like rude, or just like lazy jackass. Also Bruce. And they Oh yes, Bruce. Bruce. It's important. Really like Skyward Sword's supporting cast is actually really strong. Like the Island of Skyloft is probably the most characterized set of NPCs in a Zelda game since uh Majora's Mask. And there's all sorts of like wild subquests going on. What does that? Yeah. I, I, I will never get over how incredibly weird and beautifully stupid the uh, subquest. Like this guy asks you to deliver his love letter. It's it's one of Bruce's like, uh, you know, just one of Bruce's like, cadre. He asks you to deliver a love letter to one of the NPCs. And you have two options. You can send it to her, and she just rejects him. Or you can give it to the hand in the toilet. And the hand in the toilet is like, Oh, man! Look at how look at how nice this love letter is to me, and just haunts him as a ghost. <laughs> and it's incredible. Uh, there's like this uh, one character who's like, it, it, this one raises quite, oh man, there's so many of these that I just love, uh, but I'll bring up two more. And I think I've talked about them before, but they're so good and I love them so much. Uh, but 
there is the one character who like he's he's sort of like the uh the upperclassman of like the like hero school that Link is attending at the start of the game. And he's like he's got no money to like his family has no money, they're dirt poor power, whatever that means in Skyloft, the economy is not super clear. Uh and you can find his like house and his mom asks will be like, here's some movies if you'll clean this house so I don't have to. And it's just like he is working like a second job to try to keep them afloat and she's spending it on using you on getting you to use the gust bellows to get rid of the dirt in her house. Uh-huh. And then there's the like restaurateur that has a piece of heart just sitting above his uh house sitting above on his chandelier and the only way to get it is to jump onto the chandelier which breaks the chandelier and the only response he has to that is why would you do that (laughs) and then you have to work off the amount of money that you spent destroying his chandelier Skyward Sword is incredible um but yeah, uh, to get to the adjacent Zelda question, speaking of the CDI Zelda, I actually watched through someone playing it entirely on YouTube. Was it really a case of so bad it's good, or did the internet just one day choose a dull game and ironically make it funny? It's the angry game nerd syndrome. If people are more likely to remember AVGN's acting than the actual games. To be fair, people were dogging on the uh, CDI Zelda games since at least the early, like, late 90s. There is... I remember in the 150th issue of Electronic Gaming Monthly, uh, in addition to a 100 best games of all time list, they had someone write a 20 worst games of all time. And the CDI Zelda games are absolutely on that list. Nice. Uh, like, uh, there's a few things to note about CDI Zelda games. One is that it's it's weird to see a Zelda game that bad. It's just weird. Even the ones you or I don't like are usually just kind of mediocre. Like Zelda. Sure. Okay. No, like, no. but like we would. No, it's 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 fine. In any case, like even the ones you or I don't like, they don't typically get worse than mediocre. And they're usually, like, full of interesting ideas. The CDI Zelda games are weird because, like, they're, they're like, platformers with resource management. Like, theoretically, they're patterned after Zelda 2, but they're not very much like that either. Uh, but, like, it, it's weird for them to be as bad as they are. And it's weird, like... In isolation, the animation in those is... That is bizarre. Not just like, not something specific to the model sheets, although I'm not convinced there were model sheets based on how they move. But like, uh, the general like, weirdness of the art style, weirdness of the... Oh, hey, Dan. Uh, Weirdness of the art style, weirdness of the general... the, the voice acting itself, all of that is weird enough that they were going to become notorious regardless. Uh, 
Yeah, just there's a few lines from that that I discovered in like 2003 that me and a friend will occasionally uh, repeat at each other because the delivery is baffling. Yeah, I was gonna say like um, you know the angry video game nerd video he references like he straight up just plays some of the video clips from the game and don't have to do more than that to see how freaking weird and terrible they are. Sam, we are discussing the uh, Philips CDIWs. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're just, they're they're wild, and they probably would have become infamous. Like, as long as the Zelda name was attached, they would have become infamous regardless of their quality. Their quality is probably slightly exaggerated. It's the thing that most CDI games don't control well, because it wasn't really meant to be a video game console. So, like... They have kind of bad input delay and generally feel kind of weird to play. They're certainly not unplayable, but I mean, they're... Well, they're, uh... Not amazing. <laughs> they're, they're... It's easy to see why they got the reputation they did. And they, they really are... The cutscenes, at least, are definitely so bad it's good. Uh... Sorry, Link. I don't give charity. Come back when you're a little richer. Or it's, I don't give credit. Something like that. But like, it's just one of those like, I, and the way that he's moving when he's doing that, it's like every no one can just talk. They have to be doing some exaggerated animation that makes the and like all the animation is unsettlingly smooth. And so it just becomes like really odd to watch. And so, like, I think that those cutscenes were always going to be uh, infamous uh, either way. As for the actual game, like, it's it's mostly just not terribly good. Uh, also, Tim remarks that you're very quiet. I'm very quiet? Yes. Uh, okay. Pump yourself up. Pump it up. Pump it up, exceed. Pump, pump, pump it up. Flip, 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 Philadelphia. Uh, but yeah. Um, Sam points out that your mic is on your head. <laughs> my mic is on my head? What does that mean? I don't know. I think oh, it might be oh. that your mic is flipped up. Yeah, no, Tam, I mean, I have a boom mic off camera. Uh, let's see. Let's I'll quickly, while you're doing that, bring up something that matters to me, but not you. Uh, which is, with the new Super Robot Wars being announced, is it just me, or does it feel like games published by companies under a contract with Bond Dynamics go flip a lot of things other than just SS? I mean, just look at all the licensed anime games they release. That has a lot more to do with the fact that when you get a license, you probably get you usually get it for a period of time than a specific release. And so it would honestly make no sense to not just, like, go whole hog. Hello? Hello. Okay. I'm sorry, uh, distracted by this game. Yeah, that makes sense. But, uh, so, like, I, I'm almost certain that, like, with many of the, like, because of the way that Super Robot Wars games are produced, you generally want to get as much reuse out of those sprites as possible. That means that you need to use the same series with these games. 
That means that you license the series for like five, ten years at a time, and then slot it in as necessary into these plots while reusing the sprites and defraying the cost of making new HD sprites. Mm. Like, way back in the day, in like PS1 and early PS2 uh, Super Robot Wars, you would get some like wild like series list variances, but it just doesn't make a lot of financial sense at this point. Especially because they're filtering a lot of money into Super Robot Wars OG's animation. So you should license material and transfer. Robot Wars and the Japan Direct. Yes, the Japan Direct uh, teased the 30th anniversary Super Game, uh, which will be shown in July. Is what it said, but it's a Switch, PS4, and Steam game. They've already announced a Southeast Asian English release. Nice. Uh, and they've announced some of the series list. Most of what they showed was a uh, series we've seen before, but there were a couple, uh, I think, well, I'm sure Code Geass has been in Robot, Super Robot Wars before, but it's been a while. Uh, and this might be like a specific permutation of Code Geass, because it was like, uh... I think it was one of the movies, basically. Uh... Oh, was it in X? I skipped X. I forgot back to that. But also, it was nice to see they brought uh, Combatler B back. I think last time might have. I think the last time it appeared was in one of the Z games. Combatler B's fun. Uh... Know God only knows if they'll actually adapt. Um... V V V V V one, two, three. Are you keeping an eye on the RP Gamer chat? Yeah, I'm seeing Tam talk. It's uh, been a while for him, uh, as well as Voltes 5, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're both... Uh, so that looks fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the nature of how licensing costs work means that they kind of just have to. Uh, yeah, Shin Getter was kind of guaranteed. My thing was the Infinity kind of guaranteed. Uh, uh, they showed some of the latter UC Gundam, I can't tell. Uh, I think that was probably Char's counterattack on them, but I'd have to actually look at the trailer again. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, the the usual suspects. Like it's weird. It's it's usually worthy of remark when some version of Ghetto Robo, some version of Mazing Z, or some version of UC Gundam is a thing. Um, yeah. Uh, apparently, there were some indications of both Zeta and Charles Counterattack. So probably by by natural law, probably double data as well. But yeah, uh, you know, it, it's, it's Super Robot Wars. It looks pretty, it'll be fun. Uh, still waiting for the next OG game, probably gonna be a bit. Uh, otherwise, uh, oh yeah, Gaugai Gar Final for somewhat, for some reason. I would be surprised if that is anything other than units only, but Gaugai Gar is always fun to see, but yeah, I mean, it's in, it's in a lot of these. Uh, 
especially after there have been multiple other Brave series in the recent ones, it's a little less uh, like seeing Gao Gai Gar is one of those, like, I wonder if there'll be another Brave series like my guy was in the last couple, I think. So, bring in, uh, bring in some of the, like, ones with, uh, weirder names, like, uh, the, so, it's like seven Brave series, and I keep forgetting what they're actually called, uh, what some of the other ones are, uh, there's one I was going to reference. Uh, yeah, bring in, like, Brave Police J-Decker or something. Uh, Brave Fighter of Legend Dagarn would also be fun. But, yeah. Uh, it looks like I saw line barrels, but I wouldn't recognize it immediately offhand anyway, but... Maybe it's in there. Um, but yeah. Uh, before this conversation puts wheels to sleep, we'll move past Super Robot Wars. Um, I mean, I'm playing a fast leave game. You're not gonna put me to sleep. That's fine, that's fine. Blind Barrels of Iron was in Super Robot Wars Alpha, so you are correct on that. But that's one of those ones that's only been in like one or two. Uh, it's same with like things like Demon Bane or. Uh, Fucking Mutaki Code and Raijin. Uh, something about remembering that name right. Oh no, wait, Mutaki Kojin's Dietarn 3. It's, it's like Sadai Mutaki. Like, absolutely indestructible Raijin is what it's trying to say. I think they translated it as matchless Raijin, the one time someone tried selling that in English. Yeah, Sadai Mutaki Raijin. Which. <laughs> Could most directly be translated as absolutely invincible. But, yeah, uh, yeah, Aquarian would see. Like, there's a lot of things we might see. Like, there's a lot of things we might see for the 30th anniversary. Part of me is hoping that they'll use the 30th anniversary to bring back some series that, like, maybe haven't been seen in a while because it's the anniversary and, like, they were maybe big deals back when the series was new and have disappeared. But we'll see. I mean, uh, I'm, I was mostly just happy that, in Japan at least, it got Pride of Place at a Nintendo Direct as, here's, here's Super Robot Wars, let's show this to the general audience that we expect to watch Nintendo Direct. So. Super Robot Wars 30th Anniversary game. God only knows what it'll actually be called. It will probably have an arbitrary letter in it. Can't part of you and me both. I'm glad that they are already announced the English version. Yeah, that's definitely uh, nice for parents. Don't even have to worry about it. There was a very long time where the idea of getting consistent, timely, well localized releases of Super Robot Wars sounded like the most ridiculous claim that you could possibly. Mm -hmm. And now they actually do happen. Are they decent? The, the, like, B, X, and T all have wonderful localization. Very good. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Um, so we got another one from, uh, about the E3 buzz from Fireminer. Advanced Wars Plus is, quote, rebuilt from the ground up. It's rebooted. 
but well, we'll accept plus. Am I paranoid to think that intelligent systems have lost the source code for Advanced Wars 1 and 2? I believe you are. Uh, Koei lost the source code for Minka in Black, and I will prompt me. Or is it just that whenever you remake a 2D game for Switch, you're going to make it 3D, aka Super Fly? It's just cheaper. Yeah. It's just cheaper to make models than high-res sprites. And, like, you could... Like, the, the source code would honestly not be terribly useful, even if you were doing more faithful remake. It's... Build for GBA arm uh. instruction sets. So, like, the most of the source code could probably give you, and something that internal documentation probably already has, is basically like formulas for calculations. Uh. But yeah, um, like, uh, I don't feel like the source code would honestly have help helped them much, even presuming that they didn't, which I'm not willing to assume, because Nintendo, as we have found, keeps vast libraries of source codes, even of things that they don't specifically own. So, like, I will remember to my dying day, that Square had lost their internal copy of the uh, Trials of Mana source code, but Nintendo had kept it due to, like, a submission that Square had had to make to uh, have it, like, reviewed before release. If they can keep that on file and be able to find it, I, I can't imagine that uh, advanced words and source code is lost to them. I feel like you're getting rocked here a lot. Well, I mean, it'd be pretty far, actually. You're just like the fourth yeah, boss. Yeah. And I'm like some new characters, so I'm making progress here. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, here's one. Uh, am I weird to think that combat is not a strong point in the 2D Metroid games? Even against action platformers at the time, I feel like it lacked impact, for lack of a better word. Maybe it's why I like the 3DS remake of Metroid 2. No, I would agree. I think that the combat in Metroid is mostly just, uh, serviceable at best. It's fine. Uh... It usually doesn't track, but like fighting enemies is almost always the least interesting thing going on. And you'll run into bosses that are just downright bad in some of the old games. I'm looking at you, Ridley, in Super Metroid, which is just like a function of how it's designed is kind of bad. I don't want to rant too much, but just. He spends almost the entire fight off-screen. I know it's possible to learn that fight, because speedrunners play the game in the most arbitrary fashion possible. What'd you say? I said, it's annoying. Oh yeah, it's just like... But like, the, the intended function of how you were supposed to fight Ridley was basically just have enough resources to just beat him in the damage race. And, like, actually fighting him is not entertaining. And that's... 
Yeah, like, there are, there are Metroid games with good fights. There are Metroid games with perfectly serviceable combat mechanics, but in general, it's not it's not a strong suit. They're, they're very bad. Um, it's usually the weakest link in a given Metroid game. And uh, it feels like, for good and ill, it is one of the things one of the things that they have consistently tried to address uh, the Prime games generally went more into more interesting combat scenarios uh, the how describe this Prime games uh, had more interesting combat scenarios Whatever else you want to say about Other M, it was very definitely trying to improve the combat. Yeah. Samus Returns is a very specific attempt to improve the combat, and Dread seems to be building on that as well. I feel like the there is, internally within Nintendo, at least to Sakamoto, there is like the thought process that this that the combat is the weak link of the game. So... That would be uh, my response to that. I think you're perfectly right in saying that the combat is not the strong point there. Uh, let's see. Let's fly back up for a bit. Uh, let's, see. Um, let's jump into an earlier question that will address a game that I already talked about. Said that I actually liked a lot more than I expected to. Uh, given what I've seen with people reacting to Final Fantasy Origin, you guys were right about me uh, making Dark Souls FF Night might not be the best idea. It also makes me want to ask, are people making too much, putting too much stock into the FF brand name? Feels like after FF7, both Spiranix and fans have been trapped in the mindset that the next FF will have to be the next best thing since sliced bread. Origin is not even a number two title. So I would say that it would be more accurate to say that Square considers the FF brand to be strong and they don't want things to tarnish that brand. Like, that is more their concern. Yeah. Oh, someone, someone in the chat uh, brings up that they don't think combat is a selling point with 2D Metroid. And I would say that, yes, it isn't a selling point. It's definitely something that paces out the platforming. But I also think that there are times where uh, it becomes low quality enough that it becomes an active distraction. Right. Um, but uh, to, to get back to this, uh, Square wants the FF brand to be strong. They want uh, when you see, they want you to associate the idea of when the FF name is on something as like the beginning of a new franchise, that you will think of that as like this will be one of the highest quality versions of whatever genre it's in. Like, that is how they want you to think of Final Fantasy. And that's why uh, you would think at this stage that people would not necessarily agree with the notion that it has to be that. But decades on, but I mean, like, this is putting the FF name on something as, like, both a marker that this is a product we promise will be high quality, as well as that being a broken lie is not even new. <laughs> uh, they have been slapping the FF name onto uh, products of wildly varying quality since at least 1990s. 
before I was born. Final Fantasy Legend. Yeah, I love Final Fantasy Legend. Final Fantasy but completely unrelated object. Yeah. Uh, Mystic Quests, mid nineties, just sort of something. <laughs> I love it, but like it's you know a, a marker. Of, they they will put anything on it, yeah. and it's just that FF Seven increased the amount of bravado that had to go along with it because FF Seven briefly made Final Fantasy the biggest game in the world. And you don't de-escalate from that. Yeah. Even 20 years on, you don't de-escalate from We Were the Biggest Game. Uh, so, you know, they're, whenever they do like a big budget console game, they, they kind of pour on the marketing bravado, but that's every major company. We are always eternal forward growth because that is how uh, capitalism encourages us to be. Uh, let's see. Uh, in a related question, is Nomura being too talkative to depressed? Uh, harming him. I mean, if people want to blame 10 to 13 or 15 script on anyone, it should have been Nojima or Watanabe. Because it was Nomura who showed his face, uh, everyone blamed him. So I'm going to briefly cite a very, very old article from way back in probably about 2002, if I were to hazard a guess, which is an ancient IGN article that started in a preview for Deus Ex 2 with a quote from uh, the brilliant war inspector who says, there is a tendency among the press, and I, as an aside, going to extend this to fans, to attribute the creation of a game to a single person, says War Inspector, creator of Thief and Deus Ex. Which, uh... That's the mindset that people still carry into this. The People will find the most visible member of the development team and either blame or adulate them. And so that's why you get, like, Nomura, Yoko Taro, Naoki Yoshida, uh, in general, they make that their faces are in front of the games because that is kind of what their job, part of what their job is, since they're at the head of the dev team. They don't have a lot of choice. And eventually, once you reach a certain point, your job in part becomes the fact that you've been in front of people's faces so long means that you are the one that assures people of the quality of the product. So when you put, like, Yoko Taro in front of people, people expect a specific thing out of the product, and people feel assured that it will have that. When you put Naoki Yoshida in front of the product, people will expect a specific thing and expect that it has that. When you put Nomura in front of a product, you say that you are promising them that it has that. And that also means that when they are angry at what the product is, they will inevitably construct a weird sort of how to describe this. I'll be right back. Keep going. They will inevitably. Huh? Uh, oh, we will be back, presumably. They will inevitably construct a version of this person uh, to blame. They will, like, create a effigy of them in their mind and anything they disliked about the product was their inevit was inevitably duped by their influence 
if you draw this to a not specifically RPG point, uh, when was the last time? Uh, so, like for a very long time, anything good that happened at Nintendo happened because Miyamoto had willed it to be that way. And then, after like people related stories about him uh, looking at a game in mid development and saying, "You need to change this, that, and the other thing." And they liked the sound of what they couldn't play. So suddenly Miyamoto became the tyrant, who is the reason that everything that you love at Nintendo doesn't happen. And Miyamoto became the reason there's no new F-Zero. Miyamoto became the reason that X, Y, and, like, that Paper Mario was different. Miyamoto became, like, the boogeyman that came to destroy your favorite franchise. And that is kind of the inevitable life cycle of one of these public figures. When you are, when you love the company... Every good thing that the company does is this person's fault. When you hate the company, everything you hate about the company can be laid at their feet. And like that's not a healthy way to engage with anyone, but it's also a very human way that people engage with uh, the people who make games. And that's why you will see these like really wild swings of public opinion around specific developers. Like you'll get. Uh, after Metal Gear Solid 1, Hideo Kojima, if you if you remember reading uh, press around him, after Metal Gear Solid 1, it was just, he was the most brilliant person who had ever worked in video games, pushing the medium forward. After Metal Gear Solid 2, he was treated as a hack who had never conceived of a good idea in his life. And this was just how these operated. Uh, there was there was not a lot that you could uh, do one way or the other. Like it was just it was going to be one of these two things, and there wasn't a lot out of that. Uh, Tam, I miss F Zero too, and this, this is another thing. I think that Firemine and Red brought this up. I'm going to double check this so that I can like wrap these questions together because it makes sense. Uh, I'm back. Hey. Uh, so I was just talking about how like the sec like people will fixate on the person that they most know uh, in a development team, and that will be like the everything that's good or bad about a game or company becomes their fault. And it's just it's not good, it's not healthy, but it's how people do, and like it sucks because like it means that inevitably. We see, we very occasionally see cracks that are people getting, people in that position getting frustrated for being blamed for things that they aren't at fault for. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up one. Since Nomura was the catalyst of this discussion, I will bring up that when FF7 Remake was announced was not his choice. And the radio silence about its content for four years was also not his choice. He was actually quite public about that fact. Straight up asked about it. Uh, like, he was basically said, yeah, I'd really like to talk about it, but the marketing plan says that we won't talk about it right now. <laughs> so, I have a lot of progress to show you, but I can't show it. <laughs> And it was about as candid as you're allowed to get when you're in that position. That's the other thing to take away from a lot of these, is 
When they shove the director in front of an interviewer or they shove like a creative in front of an interviewer, it's marketing. Like that's part of the marketing. And so when they give you a wishy-washy answer or they say something that sounds nonsensical, that's also marketing. So like when Nomura gives a quote to Famitsu that's like, oh, we wanted to tell the story of like an angry man. It's like the marketing says we're selling this as Final Fantasy for adults. So you say it's Final Fantasy for adults. Uh, so it's like, and like there is, there's the germ, like like with most good marketing, there is the germ of truth in there, in the sense that the prevailing dominating emotion of a Final Fantasy character prior to Strangers of Par Stranger of Paradise or uh, Final Fantasy 16 had never been angry. Uh, it's always like it, it had always been something else it had always been like confusion or like you know there's like adventurousness something the dominating emotion within their personality was never painful. and so for Final Fantasy an angry protagonist is actually a new set and that's why that is the way it is also this is Dark Souls and shit um, Dark Souls what? This is Dark Souls as shit. <laughs> it's Dark Souls in space. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not, I'm not saying, I am saying Dark Souls as hell. Extremely oh, dark. I got you. I got you. Um, but yeah, uh, Tam says, and then there's Yuji Hori. And like, yes, but also, like, everything in that uh, stream. Like, Hori, Hori is one of those people who can get away with a lot because you can't discipline Yuji Hori about what he says because he's he's the creator of Dragon Quest like the director of every Dragon Quest the writer of uh, a head writer on essentially all of them you can't discipline him in any fashion or else I mean it's going to be obvious and people are going to be pissed but it's also like he was not talking about things that he literally wasn't allowed to talk about it's just the the hinting at uh, like DQ on two two DHD was not an accident, is what how I put it. Uh, let's see. Sorry, just the trouble with the version. Uh... But yeah, like. Any director interview that you get while a game is in production is part of marketing. Hmm. Uh, and, oh, hey, guys. Good to hear from you. Okay, is this thing connected? Yes. It is now. Okay, just just should mention that historically I've had no num I mean no limit to the problems with Discord on chat, <laughs> so I'm like I'm afraid to touch it these days. Yeah, yeah, understandable, but yeah, you just yeah, I'm glad that you figured it out. Um, if we have yeah, you say figured it out, I say begged for an answer on Sky on Discord until somebody told me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got the answer, so you got it. So if we have issues, yeah, we can always yeah. just uh, switch back to Skype in the future. Yeah. Yeah. But let's see. Uh, yeah, we were just discussing. We were going down Fire Mine's like E three list. So uh, mm. I didn't figure you watched much E three, so I didn't feel too bad doing that. Eh. 
Then did you cover uh, Shin Megami Tensei question? Uh, we didn't get to the question about it, if oh. there was one. Did we? Uh, sorry, I'm. Oh well, no, man, he's got one? a long list here. And I'm looking at the third segment. Okay. Oh, third yeah, segment. If you were just talking about Nomura. And oh yeah, we skipped that. Else. We haven't gotten to that one yet. Oh, yeah. We were just uh, we did the Zelda ones in the third set, and the Advance Wars and Metroid ones, and then we started going back up, uh, starting at the like Dark Souls Final Fantasy one, and we were just finishing uh, the question of whether Nomura is being talkative. To which I was just saying like he is doing exactly what marketing asks of him. <laughs> And it's not like he's Molyneux or anything. <laughs> yeah, like Molyneux is one of those things where he's almost always the head of the company. So Molyneux says what Molyneux wants to say. Mm -hmm. But like when Nomura is like trotted out in front of the press and is like asked to uh, describe this new Final Fantasy spinoff. And he's like, oh, it's, a, it's an angry Final Fantasy or whatever. It's like, yeah, marketing said that that's what you need to, like, you need to emphasize Final Fantasy for, like, mature, edgy boys. So uh, that's what you end up getting. Or, like, uh -huh. I brought up, there was uh, a period where people were, like, assuming that nothing was happening with the FL7 remake, that it was in some sort of development hell. And, uh, but, like, if you actually go back and look at his uh like Kingdom Hearts 3 pre-release stuff uh people did ask him about FF7 remake and he just said basically like there is progress being made I'd like to show it to you but marketing like we are currently marketing Kingdom Hearts 3 we're not talking about it so, so you just end up with like all all like creatives getting interviewed during the process of a game's development marketing back uh, but yeah, uh, up and down on the, like, if we're worried about the actual plot of uh, Stranger of Paradise, that's once again a Kazushige Nojima joint. Uh, mm -hmm. He got, like, he was at the top billing, actually, for that, so. Yeah, uh, that's just sort of how that goes. Um, let's see. Oh, did you want to talk about what you've been playing, Gaiji? Oh, and I'm just still doing Astalon here. Fair enough. Yeah, I finally made it to the um, to the third boss, and the problem is the third boss is at the top of a very large tower, or a large segment of the tower, and you have to go through it every single time. Mm -hmm. And um, judging from the maps that are available for the Steam version, it looks like they patched a... a uh, new elevator into um, up um, towards where the third boss is um, because people were complaining about no shortcuts. Mm -hmm. However, that has not made it into the Steam version yet, it seems. Oh. Because the room where there is a marked elevator um, still does not have an elevator. Huh? Whoops. So I don't know if it's because I already got there before the last update, or just the last update did not include it. Yeah. Um. 
Oh yeah, uh, I found a question that I wanted to reference. Tam was saying that he missed up zero, that he missed up zero and I wanted to bring up uh, something uh, adjacent to that that I was thinking about in relation to one of these questions. So I want to hit that real quick. Uh, how flush with cash is from software right now? Do uh, they not have more resources for anything else, or are they determined to just be known as the Dark Souls Studios? In other words, where is my own so it's not so much like I think from software is doing perfectly fine in terms of cash flow. By the way, uh, uh, Armored Core Six uh, is Damon X Machina. You should play it. Yeah. Uh, anyone who uh, someone in the chat just asked if they could ask a question, and the answer is always yes. Of course. Um, but yeah, just just to to clarify this. Uh, video, like, not to sound glib, video games are made by people. And for someone to take up the armored core mantle, the, the head of the guy, I think, left. I think he was on Damon X. Yeah. Uh, uh, but basically, like, he, the person who would be most keen to pitch another armored core game is the person who is gone. So then the question becomes, does someone else within the company want with enough clout to get a project who we want to fight for it? And then of course there's the question of just like, I don't think From is a huge company. Like they have plenty of money, but like that's different from having enough manpower to have a bunch of simultaneous projects. Right. So I don't think that From like from would have to have a bigger staff and like staffing up like that is essentially committing yourself to generally producing more projects at once. It's committing yourself to like doing a, like all of the onboarding costs. It's, it's a huge thing to do. And so I think that's honestly, those two things are what's keeping up, keeping away a new uh, official Armored Core game. Uh, rather than a lack of cash flow. I would also say that uh, if you're counting Verdict Day on Armored 6, then, like, Verdict no. Day itself is probably closer to, like, Armored Core 15. Because, <laughs> um, like, Armored Core 3 has, like, five follow-ups that are not numbered sequels, but are about as different games as Verdict Day. That's true. Uh, uh. Um. Oh yeah, uh, to hit uh, one of the questions that was supposed to be related to that, uh, is Bethesda exhausting themselves to pace after the next massive wor open world do everything RPG? I know that studios under Microsoft will always be typecast by the higher ups, even if Bethesda were an independent entity. There would be no way they have enough resources to do anything else at the same time making another Fallout and Elder Scrolls. That is presuming they want to do anything. Anyone remember how Prey 2 was buried by that? Prey 2 was actually like a separate concern about the publishing of ZeniMax, which is usually done under the Bethesda name, but Bethesda as a developer is a different entity from Bethesda as a publisher, and they operate very differently. Um, but the way I would describe it is... 
I mean, there's a reason that Skyrim's turning 10 this year and Elder Scrolls 6 still seems to be at least two or three years off. Like, they went all in on making Fallout games for the uh, PS4 generation. And that kind of uh, didn't, you know, that essentially precluded them from finishing Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6 anytime soon. So that's uh, like the fact that we're getting Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6 means that it'll probably be a while before we get a proper new Fallout. That seems to be their, like, they are at capacity making two massive open world RPGs. So, I mean, God only knows when we'll get another one. Uh, another Fallout, which I'm fine with. I don't terribly need another Fallout in my life. Uh, as for Prey 2, Prey oh, you, don't want a, you don't want a first perk or a, one, a single player version of Fallout 76 where you're playing out the haves and have not civil war oh god oh man that would be more interesting than plot of 76 uh hopefully they fix the engine i would believe that microsoft would be the company that would finally tell bethesda like go ahead sit down and actually fix your fucking engine but <laughs> we'll see uh, we might not see that actually bear fruit until elder scrolls 6 and starfield has to be out by the end of next year. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, and to, to knock out the question real quick. And speaking of Prey, how big is the demand for another co-op shooter, i.e. Redfall, right now? Uh, I'm not the one to ask. I don't got the marketing data in front of me, but I mean, people still like co-ops, like shooters. I still think that there's room for that, especially since the market on that has cooled down in the wake of uh, more, like, broadly competitive games like, uh, you know, the Battle Royale genre as a whole. I think that there's probably one in the market. Uh, Let's see. But, yeah. Um... Just to hit that one real quickly, but I mean, like, if we want to briefly touch on uh, Bethesda, ZeniMax as a publisher, Super were not into the idea of spending money to market things unless they had, like, a guaranteed return on investment. So anything that wasn't Fallout or uh, Elder Scrolls would not get an advertising budget. Just sort of get left to die on the vine. Ask me about how I feel about how they treated the evil within. <laughs> Tell us but, yeah. about the evil within. Uh, it's a pretty good horror game that they just sort of, like, their marketing strategy was we released it on Friday the 13th. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> they, they, they gave no pre release codes okay. and they uh, did essentially no advertising. Wow. The definition of sent to die. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sucked. It sucked to watch play out. Um, but yeah, that's that's just kind of where where the, where it's at at this stage. I mean, like, pray pray to it sucks what they did to it, but it was not even slightly out of character. I expect no. I expected no more from them. <laughs> uh, 
see. Okay, knock some more of these out. Get to one from uh, get to the SMT one. Uh, how much do Microsoft and the Xbox rely on Halo? Why is Microsoft failed to find or help develop any new IP to replace slides to plant Halo as MRP FPS franchise? Uh, currently, they're in the process of doing that. That's why they just put together a team to make Perfect Dark games. But uh, like, it's going to be a while before we see that bear fruit. Um, but I mean, just in general, there's not a lot of reason to replace Halo. Like, Halo is a workhorse of a franchise. It is. It's sort of like asking why Nintendo hasn't replaced Mario with a different platforming franchise. In the sense of, it's kind of the face of like when you think of Microsoft video games, you're thinking of Halo first. Halo and Gears. Yeah, and Gears is the other thing that they like sort of took up their third-person shooter mantle. And like that's the other thing is that like you don't really need to cannibal to self-cannibalize your own uh, IPs. Like there, there's not a particularly good reason to replace Halo with something else. Like you could, they could make a modern military shooter, but in doing that, like. They leave behind, like, one, the stickiness of the Halo brand. Like, you already know what Halo is. We don't have to explain it to you every time we try to sell it to you. But there's also just, like, that would be a much more anonymous game than Halo, which has, over time, become more unique by virtue of the fact that it has... that there's just not a lot of sci-fi FPSs anymore. Yes. <laughs> which sucks, because modern shooters are boring as shit. Please <laughs> let me be the robot man that jumps 50 feet. Um... But yeah. Uh, and incidentally, that's why Apex is the best Battle Royale game. It's true. Um, let's see. And then the related question, just for wheels How much do Halo fans actually care about the story? I mean, if they do more, Microsoft would. Uh, uh, if they do more, Microsoft would have green lighted more spinoffs, right? Or did Halo Wars fail you scare them? Well, they made a Halo Wars 2. Um, I mean, I mean no one how many novelizations exist? People care about the story. People do not care about. Oh RTS yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna put it out there as just like a personal. I have met Halo Lords, and yeah, there's like 50 Halo books. Several, of, a bunch of them, not even based off of any particular game. Just lore. Yeah. Uh, people do care about the Halo lore, especially the people that are like obsessed with finding connections between it and the marathon lore. But. Why would you call me out like that? Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, the connections are there, I'm telling you. I'm not saying that they aren't. I'm just saying that the kind of person that wants to connect Halo to Marathon cares way too much about both. Listen, Halo 5 brought in Rampancy, okay? Yeah. And well, now, that, was, that had been there for a while. It just hadn't been really shown. Halo Infinite. Marathon Infinity. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I get nothing. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. Once we get Halo 7 to Randall, we'll fall in place. That's true. Uh, well, well not really. It doesn't involve Bungie anymore, so I'm, I'm not sure that uh, 343 gives a shit about the number 7. <laughs> uh, it'll be great. It'll be fantastic. Um... But, 
Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, there was a question aimed specifically at you, Titan. Yes? Uh, uh, Fireminer had found an example of the quote that uh, he was asking you what it meant. Uh, in a Breath of Fire 2 from that uh, apparently appears at second 15. Let me mute this here. Okay, it said 15, you said? Yeah, 15. Uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 9, 12, 13, 14, 15. Oh, that. Okay. Let's see. Kohei Hatsubaichi. Okay, let me just make sure I'm pronouncing it right to begin with. Okay. <laughs> Trying to guess the meaning, uh, trying to guess the pronunciation here, but it's not quite matching right. Um, okay, you said acclaim, right? That's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, something about uh, great acclaim. Acclaim. Thing is that kanji does not show up anywhere in acclaim. Um. Okay, it doesn't help that I don't know how to pronounce the second kanji. Ah. Uh, <laughs> which, which is doesn't the main Doesn't show up that often? Well, I'm sure it does, but, I mean, normally you can try and guess what it is from the second, the right side pronunciation. Yeah. And it's not matching any of the, any of the things I'm guessing. Hmm. So, let's, um, let's just check the, uh, I'm going to check the, the root kanji here for the pronunciation. Mm. See if it's got anything else in here. Oh, we got ooh, derived characters. Um, da, 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 da. um, three shingen, other ben. Um, okay, you know what? Let's find uh, Japanese side. <sighs> okay. Okay, let's see. Taira Hida. No, that's probably not it. Um, hey, hey, hey. Yes, I know that's the pronunciation, but okay, let's try Kohyo. Okay. There we go, it's Kohyo. Popular. Okay, popularity. So, um, Kohyo Hatsubaichu. Which just means, um, it I mean it just translates as now on sale according to Google Translate, 
Um, but yeah, it's Kohyo Hatsubai Chu. Where Kohyo is popularity and Hatsubai Chu is simply now on sale. Yeah, so popular game now on sale. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Or on sale to the public or something like that. But mm. nah. No, but pop, I mean, the first kanji means like. Yeah. The like something. Okay. Okay, now that, he, now that he points it out, I have seen this before. I just never bothered to really consider what the little bits meant because it obviously was just an, a set. Marketing item. copy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure if it's marketing copy. Mm. I mean, it, I think it may just be how it's done. It's a so. stock phrase, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Oh yeah, Irashal, one of the one of the handful of verbs in Japanese that no longer follows its the primary grammar rules for the language. <laughs> it's old it's and so no old. one has changed it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, they're all commonly used verbs like kudasaru is kudasai, kudasaru is gozaimas, irasharu is gozaimas. Yeah, it never even occurred to me how weird Kudasai is, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, those three verbs and a few others, they just, they follow a, like, it's literally a 600-year-old different um, grammar conjugation. Mm. Yeah. Fun, fun. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Arigato is another odd one, because it's technically a, an adjective declension. Yeah, Sorry. that one's, I've, I've looked into the history of that one. It's, it's weird. <laughs> I mean, by the symbols, it literally means have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Break a leg. Yeah. But, I mean, but yeah, it's, uh, no, I mean, I under, I think it translates as, originally as, I understand that you had a problem and thank you. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But, yeah, but the O ending for adjectives, um, that in Ohio. Yeah. So Ohio is literally early. Mm-hmm. But it just yep. has become morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, how goes I'm also you're up early. Yep. Yeah. Let's see. Um, okay. okay. Oh, have you seen the SMT five trailer properly, by the way? Um not all of it, no, I haven't had the time yet. I've seen parts of it. It looks good. Uh and it comes out in November seemingly everywhere. Yep. I mean my main my main takeaway first was those are some very interesting school uniforms. <laughs> Just because, yeah, nobody, I mean, no high school student would wear those uniforms. <laughs> Absolute refusal. I mean, they're awesome uniforms. It's just that the, the flower print is weird. Mm, fair. That's one of those breaks from reality you get with uh, video game high schoolers, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the the style and the cut of the outfit is very much um, Japanese high school. It's just mm. nothing the else about pattern. it. Either. <laughs> yeah. Every t every time I look at it, I just see like, oh, there's a lot of devil man DNA in this. Mm. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. It's it's Shinigami Tensei. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it looks it looks real good. It's weird to be able to see what kind of demon you'll be fighting on screen before you actually run into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
mean, they had to find the update to something. Yeah. They did on-screen encounters with four, but... Uh, like, they were just generic symbols. You couldn't actually tell what you were going to be fighting until you were in the fight. Looks real good. Looks real good. Um, I just wanted to use that as preamble before uh, the SMT question. Now that we've talked about how SMT is not the Atlas franchise for experimental stuff, after seeing what they've shown with 5, what features do you think would be useful or fun to be added to it? Yeah, my feature features is like an interesting question because it's like the feature set sort of needs to uh, match the game. So otherwise, like all I could list is like quality of life things. Yeah, I mean, I would like to just be able to design my own character since it's kind of a blank slate character in a lot of ways. Anyway, they super couldn't do that with this one just because like they spent so they definitely spent a lot of time. Iterating on what, like, the, like, uh, demon-fused uh, version of the protagonist would look like. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things, like, there's, like, for SMT, I feel, for vanilla SMT, I feel like there's less of an excuse. Because, like, for good nail, you kind of have to have... Uh, you, you kind of have to write the entire story of a Persona game and the protagonist's, like, station in life, and that's going to be affected by, like, that's going to affect what you can do with customization, especially, like, whether your character is male, female, or something, or, like, outside the gender binary. Uh, like, those are going to affect how people react to that character, and it's going to affect their story lines. Uh... And so, like, for Persona, like, for Good and Ill, there is a reason why they don't do that. With Vanilla SMT, there's less good reasons. It's just they don't. Yeah. And, uh... But, I mean, like, in this case, they kind of, like, gave themselves an app by saying we had a very specific, like, striking design we wanted, to, we wanted the protagonist to have when they fused with that demon, so they needed to look like something specific beforehand. Yeah, I'm curious how long that's going to take to happen, given that they showed the, like, fully human protagonists early, like, early and have been showing them in trailers for a while. Or if it's something that can be reversed. Yeah, that's the other question. Or multiple options. Yeah, it's one of those things that they've... Um... Like, the idea of, like, fusing a, uh, a non-demon with a demon is an idea that they've sort of danced around for a number of games. The Like, Nocturne, you had the Magathamas, which kind of made you a demon person, but, I mean, you also weren't fusing with anything specific. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. Yeah. And I was like, I, I know, like, the in um, Strange Journey, the, one of the heroes, from, or both of the um, the Law and Chaos Heroes both merged with demons. Yeah, that Sorry. also ha happens in SMT4. Yeah. Uh, and so they've, they've been sort of, and like, 
the idea of doing that at least dates back to SMT1, where like you fuse your dog with a demon yeah. and get a server. I was like, I, I know, server like, goes the, away for a long time. Yeah. But I was like, I, I, good old Serbi. Kind of, yeah, that was kind of a an ongoing concept. Uh, Sam brings I mean, up Digital Devil I mean, Saga, but yeah, I'm thinking more of the main thing. Thing you could get human recruits and fuse them with demons and turn them into other things. Yeah, that kind of made it go away. <laughs> and it would tank your reputation with certain sides if you did, but... Yeah, I wonder why. Uh, but yeah, that kind of went away after a theory. Uh, mm-hmm. And then... Uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. Like, It's interesting that they keep, they keep coming back to this idea. Like, well, what can we do with this, like... Uh, demon. Oh, there was also uh, Nemesa from uh, Devil Summoner Soul Hackers. Yep. Who is completely awesome. Yeah, no. Honestly, uh, a huge highlight of that game. Yes. I need to play that uh, more properly again. Um, like, I got like most of the way through and I shut it down. I found my 3DS and its charger this morning, so... Might as well. But, yeah. Uh, lovely. Uh, but, yeah, like, it's it's an idea that they've, like, sort of danced around a few times. But they've never, like, gone whole hog with the idea of the protagonist fuses with a specific demon, and that will be, like, a theme uh, that the story cares about. Uh, and it's interesting to see that show up again in 5 and curious what they intend to do with it. Because it's usually been used as a marker of like becoming something less than human. Or at least something alien from human. Yeah. And so it's typically something that they've kept away from something that the protagonist would do. So... It will be uh, interesting to see what they end up making of that. We also should point out, I believe those uh, like party confetti poppers are wind elemental. Yes. Yes, but, I just be spamming those, but now most of my party's dead, so it's probably failed to run in. This is a really hard boss fight. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just think it's interesting to see that approached as something that happens to the protagonist, since it's always been an, a strictly alienating factor, like, often used to... Like, like you mentioned that it showed up in Strange Journey, and it also showed up in SMT4, and in both of those cases it was used to mark that a character had... Uh, Fallen away from humanity. Yeah, that they just weren't a per- They weren't... They were literally in figure of the... T- Figuratively, no longer. Um, we'll see what they do with that. Uh, I'm sure that the good. I am willing to place my bets. The good ending will be if the if the if it's not already reversible from the start. I will be shocked if the good ending is not reversing it. <laughs> like that will be the neutral ending. Because hey, I played Nocturne too, buddy. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, do we have anything in particular we would like to see happen in 
uh, SMT5 or things we would like to see going on. So. Mm. I mean, since I really don't know what, else, what actually is in there. Um, well, one thing I, mean, I found interesting about the trailer is that it's not your character lives through, like, the Tokyo Apocalypse or is... Yeah, they seem to be pulled into another, another world. world. Yeah, it's like an old... It's time, thing. baby. So, um, I'd like to see them do some cool things with that idea. Whatever that may be. Mm. Instead of just... It oh, does raise the question of, like... Now you're in a SMT, you know, you're in the post-apocalypse, and... Uh, I just want to see him do some dimensional crossing shenanigans. It does raise the question of, like, whether perhaps uh, you'll be able to okay. uh, move between a perhaps more intact than usual Tokyo and... Well, like this destroyed world, and whether that will affect uh, the manifestation of the uh, demon, uh, the the demon like fusion that happened, like that might be something that they choose to explore. Like, I, I suppose that I'll just say that, like, I usually wish that SMT had more time for like in a strong human emotional core. And so, uh, like, I would be interested in Tokyo still being intact in a visible place that might have, like, people that actually, you know, are people. But that also raises the question of, like, what the driving motivation for the protagonist is, which is still not super clear. Uh, I was very amused that in the tra English trailer they just named the protagonist Protag. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Oh yeah, you can also have uh, at least one demon just sort of following behind you when you're out on the field. Finally, Shin Megami Tensei, let's go. I was gonna say, let's go Pixie. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the two versions, Shin Megami Tensei, Let's Go Pixie, and Let's Go Jack Frost. Yep. I mean, those are kind of the most common companion characters in any of the manga adaptations. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're cute, and you can, you can sell them to people in a way that you can't sell, like, fucking, I don't know, Nozuchi or whatever. Or what, what was the one that was literally uh, dick and balls on a chariot? Oh, that's Mara. Mara, yeah. I seem to recall oh, that the thing is like a reference to a very specific interpretation of a very specific bit of Buddhist scripture. Yeah. Yeah, hey, that's, a lot that's of what, Mara. A lot of what I know about um, Shingon Buddhism came from trying to figure out what the heck was up with Shin Megami Tensei. That would make sense, yeah. Um, let me get Dogta from SMT4 Fox. He was a fun guy. Huge dick. Right. Absolute asshole. Yeah. Did you want the rundown of what was actually in the Nintendo Direct, uh, Gadget? 
Um, what else is in there? I know that they have a new Breath of the Wild game, and they're not telling the title yet. Yeah, Breath of the Wild 2 was kind of the headliner. Uh, they announced another Smash character, which is Tekken Man. Uh, Metroid 5, which no one really expected. Uh, yeah. Advance Wars 1 and 2 uh, remake for Switch. Uh, in Japan, they showed the 30th Super Robots game, or 30th anniversary through Super Robots yep. game, and also uh, the new little uh, the new Little Tail Bronx game. Yeah, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that was only in Japan. Hopefully, we get that soon. Yep. Hopefully, we get some confirmation of that because there were things that were uh, there were things that were in the Japanese directs that we are getting. But that we were not in the American direction. For example, uh, there was a port of Cave Shooter Mushihime-sama uh, that was just put on the Switch eShop as like a surprise drop. And it's out on the English eShop, oh. but it just wasn't in the English uh, Nintendo Direct. Hmm. But, yeah, so hopefully we get uh, the third Little Tail game. Uh, it was... I mean, like, I'm always into that. Uh, what is this actually called? It is... Booga Melodies of Steel. Yep. See, I would not have guessed that from the Japanese title. Which is yeah. just Fuga of Battlefield. Yeah. Sounds like there must be... Oh, yeah, set for a worldwide release in July 2021. Yep. So... And just guessing from the name, since, the, since Fuga is written in Katakana... But yeah. one of the, I mean, it is a, a legitimate Japanese name, and one of the kanji combinations means wind fang. Oh, that makes perfect sense, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see what that would look like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Little Tail is one of those things that's like, this is super charming, and I need to properly play these. Mm. So it's always nice when they, when CyberConnect manages to fund uh, yep. another one. I keep forgetting that that's CyberConnect. Yeah, yep. that was actually their first game. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like the president's pet project, literally. Right. Yeah. yeah. The first one was so made back when they were CyberConnect 1, not CyberConnect 2. Yeah. Oh, it leveled so up. El Solo Toroba, which was an awesome little game. Oh, this yeah. One, and, and I still love the fact that um, one, of, one of the canon entries in Little Tail Bronx is an emergency preparedness manga series for Fukuoka Prefecture. Important. Yeah. Like, because CyberConnect is based in Fukuoka, and the artist just loved to do Little Tail Bronx characters, and had they didn't have a game to do it with, so they actually got a contract with the prefectural government to make a series of short manga for emergency preparedness techniques. Nice. Yeah. That's honestly one of the... That's honestly one of the things that I think makes CyberConnect games stand out is that even when they're doing contract work, every CyberConnect game feels like the people working on it really cared about it. Yeah. Even better, even better, the protagonist, Mamoru-kun, and his family have their own side quest line in Solo Torobo. Oh, that's great. Yes. Uh, I mean, so do the characters from Tale Concerto, which of means course. that um, this new game is probably going to have some really fun crossovers. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, it'll be it'll be nice. Uh, it sounds like kind of a wild game, so. Uh, I mean, it's a tank combat RPG. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we haven't had a good one of those in a while. No, there. Um, oh. I think there is one. There's a game coming up on Steam that looks pretty much like, um, like uh, Rocket Slime. Oh, nice. I was mostly yeah. making rueful reference to how bad the recent Metal Max were. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, but, I mean, it looked weird, yeah. quite a bit type of thing. Yeah, I was just saying, when you say tank combat, I couldn't resist the joke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Little Tail Bronx is also just really great for its, like, absolutely wonderful atmosphere, which it sounds like they're trying to keep, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... Yeah, uh, that'll be... That, that's nice to see that show up. That'll be on everything, so no one has an excuse. Sweet. Like, that is set to come out on... Uh... Theme, Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbone, and Series X slash S, so... You got no excuse. Play, play, uh, play some... Like, anthropomorphic dog war game. Yep. Cute puppies. Yeah, and it'll be very cute when it's happening. Yep. Uh. Oh, Lordy, that comes out on my birthday. Oh. Woohoo! July 29th, 2021. Oh, yep, that, that's happening for some reason. <laughs> I guess I've got no excuse now, unfortunately. Nope, Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Great Ace Attorney Chronicles and World Ends With You 2 both come out on July 27th. Why are they doing this to me? Because uh, they know that it's your birthday and you have a ready-made wish list for anyone who cares. Yeah, seriously. This is just like all things that it's like, oh, I would love to play this. These are things I've been waiting to happen for a while. It's been a very long time since there was a Tail Concerto, little Tail Bronx game. It's been a very long time since I've played it completely new to me Ace Attorney game. It's been a very long time since there's been a new World Ends With You game. Why are you all clustering here? Um, uh, yeah. Um, okay. uh, there's a question from Crawl that I don't think we've answered yet. Uh, we can we can quickly uh, hit these before we're done. Uh, so, Kroll asked, love to hear your thoughts on E3, Sprites, Disappointments, etc. We kind of covered that earlier in Gaijin, really lot, so not much to be uh, gone over there. But uh, other than that, I know Idea Factory has been around for a while, but what was the equivalent in the 80s and 90s when it was just getting going? So I assume he's referring to the equivalent of an Idea Factory caliber VG development. Or similar. Uh, most of them didn't really exist. In terms of, like, just pumping out games, the only thing I can think of is Telenet Japan, but Telenet was very... Their quality was much more wildly varying. You got anything, Gajin? Not really. Um, let see. Let me see here. Uh, let me actually... Yeah. 
Yeah. I lost track of which question it was. This, um, this, this one's in the comment section box. Oh, that's why I couldn't keep track of where it was. Yeah, yeah. Let me take a look here and... Okay. But yeah, like I just wanted to talk a bit about Telenet Japan while you're doing that. Telenet Japan was a uh, developer with many divisions who made like just an ungodly number of games. Uh, a lot, a lot of them on PC, uh, PC Engine. Uh, Cosmic Fantasy, there's like 15 of those for some reason. Uh, Final Zone, Last Alert. Five or so Valis games. Uh, the oh, the Zack games. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like Zack has like a weird. Oh, Tenshi no Uta as well. So yeah, Telenet put out a lot, a lot of uh, PC engine RPGs of wildly varying quality. So that's probably closest you'll get to an idea factory from that period. But like a lot of the other companies that might qualify are companies you've never heard of with just ridiculous names. Uh, the aforementioned Zach was like something that they like they developed like re-releases and remakes of. But it was originally developed as Zach colon the art of visual stage and was made by Micro Cabin. Oh Micro Cabin. Yeah. Uh I also just wanted to bring up some of my favorite, like, uh, of that era, Japanese game developer names. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of Thinking Rabbit, which was the developer of the uh, now ported to almost literally everything, whether you know it or not, uh, Sokoban. Uh, there was uh, one of my favorite, like, this contract developer made nothing but unbridled trash, but uh, <laughs> I I love their ridiculous name, which is Hot B, H O T dash B, and okay. uh, just to make that name more confusing and mysterious, there exist versions of the logo where underneath the word underneath the name Hot B is just the phrase "He is over there." Because, and then an ellipse, which implies that Hot B is an acronym for "He is over there because," with no further sentence, for nothing to, to clarify this new horrible sentence. Mm-hmm. Hot B. Is it related to Sage's creation? Look those up. Uh, you did, did you find anything when you were looking? Nope. Okay. Hi. Um. Hmm. Like, and there's just there's a whole, I mean, a ridiculous number of just little flash in the pan, and game studios, back in those days too. Yeah, like the companies I mean, would just Kimco, sort of happen. Kimco was a major. Yeah, Kimco was one that I thought of actually, although at the time they were less known for RPGs and more for like. Works of PC games, I feel like. But yeah. Well, well, I mean, and when you when you get right down to it, um, Idea Factory was originally known for visual novels only. Yeah, which explains a great deal about Idea Factory in terms of how they budget and, and release things. 
And apparently they were much better at making visual novels than at making RPGs. That doesn't surprise me, Slatus. Yeah. But, I mean, and um, the original Compile... Wow, Compile. They were a shooter company for the most part. They made Puyo Puyo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They yeah. did some first-person RPGs. They did a lot of shooters like Xanax. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's also how you end up with stuff like the uh, the new Mado Manogatari that they did, where they basically just took the concept and they couldn't use any of their original Mado Monogatari characters because they're all also Puyo Puyo characters. And Sega yeah, still owns think all about the Puyo, Puyo license. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they made a lot of games uh, at that time. There's a bunch of Mado Monogatari. Uh, I don't think we ever got a single one of them. Mm -hmm. They did happen. Um, I remember being very sad when I found out that Compile Heart and Compile were actually related companies. Mm -hmm. Compile Heart is Compile, they just restructured. Yeah. Or re they recompiled themselves. <laughs> Yeah, there was some, like, corporate shell game that happened, but, like, they, they were made of compile people, and they eventually bought most of the compile rights back, except for Puyo that Sega already owned. Uh, compile was, like, a bunch of different companies. Compile Heart, uh, they also became uh, Eating, which was a pretty prolific contact developer, contract developer in the early aughts. Who uh, made a lot of shooters, like, a lot, a lot of shooters. Um, but they also were uh, the contract developers that did a lot of the uh, development work for games like Tatsunoko vs. Capcom or Capcom 3. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. Just, uh, there were a lot of these sorts of companies that, like, a lot... Like, if you want, like, a rant on, like, companies of that period, we could get into that. Mm. Okay, well, I mean, just for fun right now, I'm looking through Dengeki online to see if there's anything new. Yeah. And, uh, oh, there's a dead YouTube link on this new news update. That's not a good sign. Um, That's never good. Yeah, but the game itself is apparently an indie game called Proto Corgi. That's a great name. It's a, it's a shmup. Hmm. With its own level designer, stage designer. And it's, um, hmm. you play a, a corgi with a jetpack and a laser cannon, apparently. I'm into that. Yeah. Okay, I looked it up. And VAP was the publisher of infamous Famicom Kusuke Super Monkey Devil Gun. But VAP itself yeah. is was a Japanese entertainment company that was mostly known for, or is, I should say, mostly known. It's a subsidiary of Nippon Television Holdings. And it's mostly, uh, like, some sort of talent management agency mixed with, like, they do uh, yes. video releases of a lot of things like Death Note and Lupin the Third. Yeah, you can get some really interesting cross-connections across um, around the Japanese entertainment industries. Especially you if you're looking at, like, life. the Famicom here. Yeah. Especially, yeah, like, in the early days when they were just, nobody was quite sure how licensing was supposed to work and or who was supposed to be making the games that were suddenly so popular. 
<laughs> yeah, I was a big fan of. Uh, there was a jazz. There was like a Japanese. I think they mostly released jazz records. But it was a Japanese uh, record label that uh, published uh, infamous weirdness uh, zombie nation. <laughs> yeah, published by Meldak. Um, and they're just complete. There's no, uh, just, there's no English information on this company except for the handful of random ass games that they publish, like Heianchio Alien and Zombie Nation. Uh, but yeah, like there's so many of these that are just like every company briefly had no reason not to have a game publishing label. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, kind of take your pick for, like, among those that chose to survive long enough to develop a catalog for what's the equivalent of idea factory. <laughs> yeah. Just pumping garbage out. Uh, bring back, uh, I remember there was a sewing machine company that published a game. Was there? I remember uh, that, um, the company that, I mean, I remember Crayatech or, no, it was Data East. Oh, yeah. Weird like that. They, they, they like, tried to get out of the game industry as they were dying, selling, like, air yeah. purifiers, and that didn't work out. Yeah, air purifiers and vacuum cleaners and things. Yeah. Um, My favorite thing is that it turns out there was actually a Data West at one point, but they were not related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They apparently just chose it to sound like they were related to an established company. That sounds so appropriate. And they made uh, games with names like uh, Razanber and uh, Psychic Detectives. So, you know, pretty typical Japanese game developer for the time. Mm-hmm. A brave Prove. I, I don't know what that means. Uh, oh, this one this one I appreciate because there's only one platform it could possibly have been released for, and that's called... It's Cutie Honey FX for your PC <laughs> FX. Most beloved video game platform. Uh, and it appears to be basically a like, Japanese adventure game that is an excuse to use to run like random clips from some Cutie Honey movie I've never seen. <laughs> Yeah, I just mean, like, a, Cutie just, Honey's main reason for existence was space bikinis. Yeah, I mean, it was a Gona Guy series, so that was always going to be at least part of the reason for its existence. Uh, yeah, right at home on the PCFX. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, one more question that you might have something to say on from Dog Party on episode 212. What is an underrated or lesser known RPG from the DS 3DS family that you recommend? Oh dear, how much yeah, time this, do we have? Just, just, yeah. Let's not go on too long, just uh, give me the quick highlights aside from like, say, uh, say uh, I think we've discussed, uh, or you've discussed what's the one that's based on Maple Story or something, whatever a few times Story, recently. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'll limit you there. <laughs> well, dog party, dog party. Um, I, I think that you're fairly new to the site, but if you go to the archives and 
and check under my name on the reviews by, uh, you'll find about 109 reviews, and 75% of them roughly are DS or 3DS. Often obscure um, DS or 3DS games because it was things that no one else yeah, reviewed I mean, and probably only came out in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I did kind of make a point of playing and reviewing stuff that never came out in America just because I could. Um, yeah, so if you're if that's not a barrier, go look at those reviews and you'll get a lot of information. It's but... probably the most hipster quotient I've ever gotten. But um, let's see. Um, but I mean, assuming I'm I'm going to just assume here you don't mean just in English because <laughs> that would make things far far more harder. Yeah. But um, okay. Um, okay, just to get out of the way. Okay, so. Obviously Saga, obviously Metal Max, obviously Maple Story, obviously Beyond the Labyrinth. Okay, those are out of the way. We mention them almost every week. Let's go. Um, something different. Dungeons and Dam. Um. That is a combination tower defense and real-time strategy dungeon crawl. Hmm. Um, semi-automated. Um, you put your you put your parties together. You send them into the dungeon. They go in and encounter things. It's got an interesting job class system, a kind of weird inventory system, and from the third chapter onward, you can actually flood the dungeon. Nice. Uh, at various intervals. Uh, you have to be careful not to accidentally drown your own characters and remove them from use for another three or four days. But, mm. yeah. Um, interesting game. I remember, I think it was Mac, I think Max Storm told me once that there were originally plans to localize it. Um, those plans never were never realized. I have to wonder if it had anything to do with the reveal around Chapter Seven that one of the twin Shrine Maiden sisters that your main character's best friends with is actually the Shrine Boy. Uh. Um, yeah, twins look completely identical except for basic personality, and yeah, yes, yeah. really good game. Um, but I, I can just see somebody going through that and like, okay, this is great. We can do this. We can do this. Then wait. Uh, oh no. <sighs> I'm also trying to work out when it actually was released, which might have also been 2008, 2009 thereabouts. It was in the okay. same. It was in the same release cycle as Atelier Annie, which we got, mm -hmm. and at least two or three other games. I remember there was a, there was a period of time. It was that one spring where. I had started like three different game reviews and they all got announced for American release while I was writing the review. <laughs> and this was the fourth yeah. game in that set. And it was the first one I had played that entire year that did not get announced for re for release before I finished the review. Yeah, so. I'm, I get the sense that it might have been one of those things where it was a combination of that and also just the shrinking DS market at the time. Yeah. I mean, that was the like the height of the DS market then. Well, it was the height of the DS market, but I mean in terms of the DS market was shrinking in terms of software sales because of the uh, the R4 yeah. shit. Uh, so depending upon when they were when they were analyzing it for whether to localize it and how long it took them to make a decision, that might have affected what that decision was. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, since I'm not as knowledgeable, and since we discussed it earlier, I'll just put Solitoropo. That's a neat one. Uh, 
there's some other stuff that's like on the DS that like if you're if you really want a DS RPG like it's recommendable even if it's not like an amazing game like Nostalgia is one yeah. of those. Um, so. Yeah, Nostalgia is nostalgic. Wiz yeah, Road is weird. Um, um, if you really, really like dungeon dives, then I'm, I guess Unchained Blades would work. But I mean, those but you are you have so many options. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are. I mean, those in Elmenage, those are all games that were designed by dungeon crawl enthusiasts for dungeon crawl enthusiasts, and that's a warning sign right there. Um, so, I've mentioned. Summon Night Tears Crown before because that is just a wonderful little slice of JRPG goodness. Xenogears hmm. um, 1 and 2 for the DS is a remarkably strong port of two PlayStation 2 games. Kind of the, the definitive version of those because that's what Xenosaga 3 follows. <laughs> Actually, yes, because it's got a few new scenes and a new character that goes directly into Xenosaga 3. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plus, it served as a lot of the sprite um, bases for um, or the Endless Frontier games. Yeah. Might as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they actually recycled the bridge of the of the spaceship for Endless Frontier. Um. Yep. Yeah. What else? Um. Oh, uh, might and, Might and Magic Clash of Heroes. Oh, yes, I love that game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I eventually gave it to my my nephew for a birthday, and he just really enjoyed it, too. Nice. So. It's a really, really, really good game. I think that was my first official review, the Xbox arcade version of that. <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, it didn't have the kind of cute cartoonish graphics, did it? It did. Uh, I remember seeing, um, like, a version of the game for online play, and it, I mean, they just completely redone the graphics somehow. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that's kind of our off the top of our heads list. Unless Wheels has something. Nah. Wow, didn't realize you were a coward. <laughs> uh, Radiant Historia. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah. Popularly enough, but I think some people oh. overlooked it because it was a late DS game and then it was a late 3DS game. Yeah. Yeah, real late. I mean, I mean if we can do really, really late DS games, um, let's see. Uh, Nora's Timely Studio. Um. That was the that was the collaboration between Gust and Atlas's uh, Etrian Studio. So, yeah, I think it was it was not exact it was not the last DS game release but it was in the last wave so mm. yeah. 
Definitely but yes, check out my game. reviews list. You will find lots and lots of games. So yeah. Many of which we've probably never heard of. <laughs> yes. As you know, the site says complete RPG coverage period. Let's just see how far this goes. Take this to its natural extremes. Yeah, I think I'm about done. If we're about done, I think Gaijin has a flight to do. Yes. Oh, yeah, so, okay. Um, as always, uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available on Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, uh, ebook and uh, paperback collections. Um, just if you enjoy tabletop games, if you enjoy fantasy, if you enjoy Slice of Life, it's got a bit of everything in there. And, uh, and if you've already read any of them, thank you very much. Please leave a review or ranking or get anything. a nice one. <laughs> preferably nice. Yes, preferably. But I will just take reactions of any sort. <laughs> yeah, but preferably nice. Yeah. Yep. Just because it's, I mean, it's been months and months since anybody has bothered to leave a review of any sort on anything of mine. And it gets really depressing sometimes, you know? Uh, what a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I guess. Uh, so yeah, that's available. Kindle uh, Kindle Unlimited. Michael Yari Misu. And yep. also in paperback form. That's for wheels. You got anything to plug? Uh, yes. <laughs> Please follow the Ask Wheel stream where we'll be streaming more stuff like Resident Evil, uh, Apex Legends, Fortnite. Wow. Uh, uh, too many card games at once. Yes, I haven't done that in a while, but that's going to happen again at some point. This Someday, time. one day, I'll force you to stream the Stranger of Paradise demo. Yeah, Actually, you'll have to do that soon. That demo doesn't last very long. But... Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, otherwise, uh, you should ask us questions. You can leave them in Discord or in comments of this very episode. Uh, Discord is findable by going to RP Gamer and clicking the community section. We'll get a link to that Discord. It's a very nice Discord. Uh, and chat about RPGs among like-minded individuals. Uh, chill place, a lot of nice people there. Um, you can also chat in... Ugh. You can also send questions in the, like, comments section of any given stream. Assuming my brain is still capable of reading. <laughs> well, uh, but, you know. Yeah, it can be kind of a tall ask, but yeah, we, we try to get to anything that gets asked in the Twitch comments immediately, or else it will be lost to the ether shortly thereafter. Um, but yeah, uh, otherwise, uh, I guess, see ya, Space Cowboys. Yeah. Mm -hmm.